Have you signed up for the Blue Wire newsletter yet? Well, now is the perfect time. If you sign up, you can win prizes every month. I'm talking prizes like gift cards, free merch, and cold, hard cash. In celebration of American Prodigy's third season, you can win some sick Blue Wire merch. Sign up today and immediately be entered to win. All you have to do is click the link in the description box below for more information. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is the Monday recruiting hour. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and I am joined by that dude right there, Ryan Robbins. <laughs> and Ryan, so we're gonna we're gonna talk today a little bit about offensive line. We've had some features on it on the site and kind of building towards this. And you know, it's uh it's a new era at Notre Dame again. <laughs> you know, kind of <laughs> and it's like you know, you have a president. Serves four years since it's President's Day, right? Serves four years, loses, comes back later, you know, that kind of thing. Kind of what was sort of what we went through, although this one decided to to leave. But uh, Harry Heastan is back as the offensive line coach in Notre Dame. And mm-hmm. the one thing we can both agree on, Ryan, is the offensive line is going to get coached a lot better in, in seasons moving forward. The question, however, that a lot of people like to have and I think it's a fair question, even if you are someone who supports the job that Coach Eastan did before sure. five years, is how is Coach Eastan going to recruit? And I think that's the big question that uh, a lot of people have as you, yeah, yeah, going to be a great coach, but is he going to have the dudes that he had in the first go round? Yeah, uh, it's a really unique situation, too, because, uh, I mean, if you haven't caught up to date on the Irish Breakdown, we've been doing just some kind of recruiting profiles from a coaching perspective, and especially we, we nailed down all the new hires um, to this point. And Coach Eastan, of course, is the the odd one because he literally has a track record to look back at the University of Notre Dame and say, well, this is how he can recruit at Notre Dame because he's literally done this before, right? And it's a very interesting little layer to this to this um, you know, reunion with with coach. It's it's very interesting though, because I mean, as you know, Brian, covering the covering, you know, the recruiting scene and Notre Dame scene for a while now, it's gotten a lot flashier than it used to be, right? Like there's, you know, be- all the bells and whistles nowadays. And I mean, Coach Eastan is now in his early 60s and mm-hmm. recruiting is, you know, somewhat of a young man game to a degree, right? Like all the travel and, and all the nuance of, you know, kind of, you know, curtailing yourself to uh, to a little bit of a younger crowd can be very taxing and tiring. And I, I totally get it. So I understand the concerns that people may have to say, you know, a, a 60 what 63 year old Harry he said I believe if I remember correctly 62 63 yeah, yeah yeah somewhere in that ballpark so a 62 63 year old coach coming back for a second state after being out of the game for a few years for a couple years it's understandable and the last time we saw him obviously he was the offensive line coach at, at Chicago Bears not even on the college football you know level so mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting I personally you know just kind of seeing what he's been able to do already on the trail i mean at the, you know the minute he was back up back on board he's on the road visiting monroe freeling and mm-hmm. samson okalola and doing all his rounds early and on and so. also went and saw the kids that notre dame had signed that yes. he that weren't early enrollees which i thought was important as well being able to my fear ryan to be honest with you 
mm-hmm. is I thought he was going to go out and see those guys and not really hit the ground running with the, I thought it was going to be like a, let me watch all the film first. Let me put my board mm-hmm. together. But to your point, he was able to juggle those two, t- those two things extremely well. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously he's, he's, he's made at least the appearance that he is ready to go on the recruiting trail and it should be exciting because we know that he is a great developer at the offensive line position to say the least. And I know we're excited not only from the players that he has just on the roster from the Blake Fishers and the Joe Alts at Notre Dame, but also now looking at what the board could bring for 2023, there's a lot of talented offensive linemen on the trail and as of now, early on at least, it looks like that he is putting obviously the full effort into you know flipping the script a little bit and the, to get it back to offensive line U, which is what he created the first time around. So the one thing I want to talk about with you, Ryan, that, that Sean and I talked about on Saturday was the one thing that I was surprised by, not, not that I was looking to see the opposite, I just wasn't looking to see this, was even – especially, I guess, for the purpose of this conversation. When I watched Terry Heastan's interview on, what was it, last Wednesday, we were surprised at how energized he looked and sounded. You know, it was a completely different version of Harry Heastan than we got, even going back to 2012 and 2013. And that surprised me. And, I'm, you know, you know, think about his kids are out of the house now, and, you know, I think there's a lot going on for him. I think he's excited about working with Tommy Reese. I think who someone obviously, if Harry Heastan didn't respect Tommy Reese as a player, and then from his year working with him, he's not coming back basically out of retirement to coach the offensive line at Notre Dame. Right. If there's not a respect there, if there's not respect for Marcus Freeman, which we've talked about, he was not going to come out of retirement and work for the previous head coach. I was really surprised by the energy that he showed in that opening press conference. And and when he started talking about recruiting, you could tell that he understands like, look, I I get this. You know, no matter Mm -hmm. what people might say, I understand how important this is. That was something that I thought at least, you know. Seemed encouraging for me when I when I looked at, at, at that opening press conference. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and again, brought the energy at the press conference. He has the track record. It's it should be not only it should just be exciting from every layer, in my opinion, right? Because we know what he can do as a coach. Mm-hmm. But if he's this energized on the trail, <laughs> I'm. I mean, we, we talk about the 2023 class and the 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 job they've done on the defensive side of the football. Well, it only starts taking a little bit now for this offensive staff that's now together finally, right? New running back coach, new wide receiver coach, new tight end coach, and now Harry Heastan returning at offensive line under Tommy Reese. Mm -hmm. It's only going to take a little bit of momentum to really get going here. Coach Heastan pulls his magic on the offensive line. They get their quarterback in the class. They start, you know, tricolating some of this offensive firepower at the skill positions in. And then we're really looking forward. And this, I mean, it's exciting times to say the least because we are dealing right now with Notre Dame having a top two class on every single recruiting platform. Number one, I think in three out of four of the, of the major recruiting platforms. So it's exciting to say the least. And if, if we are getting this version of Harry Heastan with a town that's already on the roster, because that's another thing that we haven't talked about a ton is the fact that, and I know you have, but it, the offensive line room is not in bad shape from a talent perspective. It has not mm-hmm. been developed as well as it could be, but right. I mean, I have to think that Coach Easton has watched a little bit of this film and just kind of chopped at the bit thinking, well, I get to work with Blake Fisher for at least two right. more years. I get to work with Joe Walt for two plus years. Like there right. is just so much to be excited about in that offensive line room. And there's still kids on the roster that he recruited. Now, Josh Lug is the only one that he recruited and saw all the way through. 
Sure. But he recruited Zeke Carell. He got Notre Dame involved in that when he recruited Andrew Christoffic. So I think that part of it is is a positive as well. There's still a somewhat of a bridge between his last tenure. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was told by by several sources that one of the reasons Coach Eastan was excited to kind of come out of retirement and get back into coaching at Notre Dame specifically was exactly what you said. Trust me, Coach Eastan still watches Notre Dame football. I mean, especially, I mean, leading up to 2020 because his former players, but even this year, you know, he, he watches Notre Dame football. And from what I'm told by sources is that he really likes the young talent. And, this, and obviously we're talking mainly about Joe Walton, and Blake Fisher, because they're the ones that play. But even, you know, Christophic, and and we've heard from a relative of Andrew Christophic that, you know, that one of the first things that Coach Eastan did it, it, when he was hired was reach out to Christophic's family, not Andrew, but his family. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been told he loves the talent. I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, this isn't what I've been told. This is my opinion. I have to think he's excited about getting a year with Jared Patterson. Sure. You know, and what he's turned into and having that leader. Cause you know, in the center of in the middle of his defense, cause he's had some good leaders in the middle of his defense. You know, Sam Mustafer was a captain, Nick Martin, Braxton cave, He's had some good leaders up the middle and, and being able to establish, okay, I know, I know I can trust that guy, you know, in every way I think is going to be helpful for him as well. But, you know, going back to it though, but that, that, that I think we all feel good about the talent is there. Mm-hmm. That should help him on the recruiting trail. Cause there shouldn't be like this year of poor play as he gets ready kind of to, you know, well, wait till I get my guys in here. I, I don't think we're going to need to wait for that. And we saw him make a big improvement in his first year the last time mm-hmm. with a roster that, in my opinion, doesn't have the top-to-bottom talent of this one. Now, right. let me elaborate on that. Obviously, Zach Martin was a stud. Sure. And Zach Martin was a lot older going into 2012 than Blake Fisher and Joe Altar. And Zach Martin was better than Jarrett Patterson. That's why I make very clear say top-to-bottom. You know, because mm-hmm. Chris Watt was a good player. But then it was like, Christian Lombard, Braxton Cave, Mike Golick mm-hmm. Jr. There was a bigger drop-off after one and two compared to the rest. And, and that's kind of where I come from and say he's inheriting a good situation. So how does that impact recruiting, Ryan, is you sure. look at it and say he's going to be able to put a really good product on the field and answer any questions that may be there. Because I think that's, from a recruiting standpoint, if Notre Dame came out and, and struggled a little bit, let's say the talent wasn't good, and he lost a bunch of guys, and it was a rough year, and we kind of knew it was going to be a rough year. Mm-hmm. That's going to hurt on the recruiting trail because it's going to allow for negative recruiting to say, see, the old man's lost it. He's not what he used to be. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And, and, a, lot, and a lot of these kids, and we've, we've talked about this before, the recruits speaking, like you talk to a couple of them and they're just like, they, they know the name Harry Heastand, right? Like they know the name, but they don't have the full context. Because I think when we were talking about, you know, Samson Okalola was a guy that told me that before. And when we spoke about it, you're just like, well, he was in middle school when, when Coach Heastand was, you know, the offensive line coach at Notre Dame. So having a, a complete, a comprehensive understanding of what he was able to accomplish is not as, you know, just cut and dry as, as people would want to make it out to be because me as a 30-year-old man fully understands what Coach Heastand meant to Notre Dame the first time around, building it to offensive line you. But a, a young man that is 17 years old, and the last time Coach Heastand was with Notre Dame, he was 11, 12 years old, is not going to quite understand the, the, the full context of just how great of an offensive line yeah. developer he is. So seeing the on the field, like you're saying, mm-hmm. see that development begin. See the, I mean, because freshman to sophomore year, sophomore year jumps are huge anyway. So we're talking about having Blake Fisher take that big step, hopefully. Joe Alt take a big step, hopefully. We're mm-hmm. Andrew Christoffer going into his second year as a starter now. Having guys like Jared Patterson back now for as a fourth year starter, right? Like there's mm-hmm. just so many layers that it's. I think that it can turn around very quickly, and that's going to impact the trail tremendously because. Because everybody's excited about what Marcus Freeman and this staff are doing on the recruiting side of things. And they're excited about just the, the trajectory of Notre Dame football. But you still have to see it, right? Like, they still want to see it. You have to see the tangible efforts on the field to really get fully sold. You're, you're getting sold a vision right now, which is fantastic. But until you see it on the field, you can't really – you know, you, you can't really touch it until you mm-hmm. finally see it. So I think just getting that reaffirmation of what type of coach he is, see the development that he has in a short amount of time. I think that not only are they in a good set just to, you know, be a take a big jump for the state of Notre Dame football in 2022, mm-hmm. but that'll be just kind of that moment where recruits are like, oh, okay, right. he did this before. It's already turning that way. That's right. Now we're back That's again. That's right. Because if it's just if all if after, if a year from now all Harry Heastan can rely on is look what I did for Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey, right. it's like hey, but what about the coach that was like that was like five years ago, man? Like you sure. know what I mean? Like you said, uh, Samson Oklahoma was in middle school when mm-hmm. that happened, right? Monroe Freeling was in middle school. Now, as you have found out, the Harry Heastan name mm-hmm. it still carries a lot of weight. Absolutely. You have had his name brought up. You've told me this, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I believe you've told me in several conversations that you, at times his name gets brought up even before you're you're going to bring it up. It's on your list of things to discuss, but it gets brought up beforehand. Is that an accurate absolutely. reflection of most of your conversations with these offensive linemen that, that Notre Dame is looking at? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 like one of those things, right? It, and this has been echoed, and we, we've talked about this before, right? It's like, oh, I had a great co- great conversation with with Coach um, with Coach Quinn, and I had a great developing relationship. But then they bring up, I'm really excited to learn more about Coach Eastand. I'm really excited to start that relationship building uh, process because you can Google his name and you can see those names, right? And those names do hold weight. Now, again, it's not tangible until it's right now and it's these restart the process. But everybody knows who Quentin Nelson is. Everybody knows who Zach Martin is. You're on mute, Brian, if you're trying to interject. (laughs) 
Just just keep talking next time. I'll figure it out. Like, why is this freaking guy ignoring me? I'm the boss here. Don't you ignore me. No, that won't happen. I do it all the time. What I was going to say was it's tangible now because there's mm-hmm. no games that he's right. coached in. But as soon as they get into games, it's going to be as much about what the product they're putting on the field as it is what he's done. So, like, you can ride that wave now. But mm-hmm. once the season starts, you're either going to keep riding it or it's going to be a little harder to sell, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're getting to, and that's why it's important. But that's the thing I'm least concerned about, to be completely honest with you. It's like, you know, by the time we get to middle end of the season, Notre Dame's going to have, in my opinion, one of the best lines in the country. I don't have any doubt about that. So so then we get into, okay, so obviously the Harry Heastan name carries weight. I think the mm-hmm. fact that he is energized is going to work. But the fact that he also has Chris Watt is going to help. And yeah. now I feel like Tommy Reese, and there, we have an article at irishbreakdown.com about this where you know, there's a lot of talk about all the offensive classes and doing well. Tommy's not an elite recruiter, all those kind of things. Well, I think we're going to find out this year if that if Tommy Reese is the recruiter I think he is or if he's the recruiter some on our channel think he is. Because I understand where people are coming from because this is a results-oriented business. And all the excuses of, well, it's not his fault. It's this guy's fault. It's that guy. End of the day, he's the guy that it's like, you know, when it comes to offensive recruiting, is the guy that's going to bear the brunt of the praise or the criticism, whichever comes his way. So we're going to find out now, you know, the kind of the kind of class that that this staff can put together because it's not just Harry Heestand. Sure. It's going to be Harry Heestand and Tommy Reese and Dylan McCullough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. should have a role in offensive line recruiting as well. And that's the thing that's a little bit different now than what was before. I mean, yeah, Denbrock was a little bit involved. And, of course, Marcus Freeman is the head coach. So sure, I'm encouraged by it. And once the product also shows up as strong, I, I really think this is going to go well. But as of today, February 21st, there are zero offensive linemen in the class. And mm-hmm. so we, it's, we can evaluate, okay, well, where is it going? And – I think the first thing to talk about is just kind of taking a look, Ryan, you know, at at, at saying, I, I guess the thing that I would be curious about is, are we going to see Harry Heastan kind of go back to what he was before? Or is he going to kind of have a, a bit of a different approach now than he had before? And I think so far, I would say that we're seeing a similar approach, Ryan, but let's break down what it was that was the 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 sort of when Harry Heastan hit the road, what was it that he was looking for first? And then we'll get into sort of where he tended to go look for those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, so again, this, this piece is already out there on Irish breakdown. If you want to go take a look, I broke down just the historical context of what coach Heastan has done on the recruiting trail. And to answer your first question, Brian, what has he tended to look for? And we've talked about this many times, I think of the 19 offensive line signees that he had in his previous stint at Notre Dame, 17 of them were full-time offensive tackles. Now, for those of those two that were not tackles, it was Tristan Hodge, who was, of course, a true center that came out and eventually transferred to BYU. And it was Hunter Biven, who I, I counted in that territory as well because you know he played offensive tackle but also had played in the interior in high school. So 17 out of 19, and we always talk about, you know, the, the ability to find fits, right? Mm-hmm. And, and people just think like, oh, we're, we're recruiting tackles, recruiting guards, recruiting centers. Coach Eastan, that's not how he, that's how, not how he operates. He recruits good offensive linemen, and he finds where these long, athletic, 
right. players can fit. And I think that the, when we're talking about the historical context, 17 out of 19 is a big statistic to say we are recruiting Notre Dame speaking right. offensive tackles to come play at the University right. of Notre Dame. And then coach Heastan will find where they fit best. I think the other thing too, that I like that has to be discussed is that that is true. That tended to be primarily what he looked for. But what I did like about Coach Eastan is he was willing, if the right fit came along, to not bring that. If you are if you have a type and you're sticking to that type, you do not recruit Sam Mustafer. You don't recruit Trevor Ruland. And I think both of those guys were really good pickups. Trevor Ruland was a solid player for Notre Dame. That was after a bunch of injuries. Yeah, Sam Mustafer obviously was a what three-year starter for Notre Dame, a team captain, and he's currently starting in the NFL. He mm-hmm. was he was a tackle in high school, but he wasn't your prototype long, rangy, <clears throat> you know, elite athlete. He was a good athlete. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm saying those are the three aspects that he, he didn't have. Two of them. He didn't have length, and he didn't have like he wasn't a guy that could play tackle. Sam was going to be an interior guy, sure, but he was still open enough to say, hey, he may lack this thing. He doesn't check all the boxes, mm-hmm. but the ones that really matter character leadership athleticism toughness uh you know all those things he brought and he was willing to go outside of that box if the right player came along and that's an important thing in in the nfl i understand not being as willing to do that but in college football there has to be a willingness to do that and we also saw that from coach Stan during his tenure yeah, no, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I still think, you know, the, the core of it is, though, that, you know, your best offensive lineman on the co- on the high school level, for the most part, because there are some offenses that will dictate a guy, you know, be a guard comparative, right, depending on what the offensive structure is. But the fact that all these guys had the ability to play offensive tackle in high school, I think, speaks volumes to the caliber of athlete mm-hmm. they are. Right. Not even talking so much about the size threshold right. for the height, arm length, all that good stuff. Like you said, Sam Mustafer was always going to be an interior guy at six foot two. He wasn't mm-hmm. going to be a guy that could play offensive tackle. But the fact that at his high school, he was a good enough athlete to man that position shows that he has in a, that in developmental a really potential. Good league. I yes. mean, he was from good counsel. He's playing against he's playing against future college football players where mm-hmm. he played. So and I think the other thing too is is in this offense, there has to be a willingness to play in space. Yeah. You know, with the zone, getting the second level, screens, those type of things. Whether you're a center guard or tackle, you have to be able to play in space in some area. Obviously, guards and centers aren't playing in space in pass pro, but mm-hmm. they have to play in space in the zone. Because you can't not play in space if you're a zone blocker. Because that means you can't block on the second level. That means you're not going to be getting good out on, on the buck sweeps and things like that. So I think that's the other thing is as a tackle, you're going to see much more. So here's here's the problem. Here's where you can miss with high school guards, Ryan, is they just come off and maul people, right? There's no – you don't see often their lateral quickness, how well do they change direction. If a guy's playing tackle in high school, even against okay competition, somebody's going to make you have to do a double move, handle a double move, whether mm-hmm. it's coming from a 5'11, 210 pound kid that's going to be going to play D3 football or mm-hmm. from a future NFL player. You still have to pass that, pass that, pass that, plant, redirect, and block down. Whether he does, and, and a guy like Harry Heastan's going to see that. Tommy Reese is going to see that. Chris Watt's going to see that. And he's going to say, hey, yeah, he won that block, but look at the hip tightness, right? Because as you evaluate film of NFL players, and I'm a, yep. and we're evaluating film of high school kids, 
we're not looking like, ooh, he dominated that rep. That means he did a great job. No, he dominated that rep, but look how bad his feet are. I mean, you and I have had these conversations. And so playing in space as a tackle from an evaluation standpoint also Mm -hmm. allows you to see things that you may not be able to see good and bad if the guy is playing at his future position, center or guard. And that's another reason why it's important. It's a great point, too, because I just started thinking about, you know, it's it's like watching some of these offensive tackles that are going into the NFL that may lack maybe the, the length that you would want, right? Like I'm thinking right now of Ika McQuanu that's coming out of NC State. He's a guy that's 6'4", 320. By NFL standards, that's a pretty small guy, and he's only about 33 and some odd inch arms. So he kind of is under the thresholds. And everybody is in love with Ika McQuanu because the guy is a dog in the run game. Like what, what you're talking about, blocking down, just working, you know, base block responsibilities. He dominates dudes and gets so much push at the point of attack. But then you see him against Florida State, against Jermaine Johnson in pass protection, where he's kind of, you know, oversetting and giving up some inside moves or gets Clemson right. against the Miles Murphy kid, where the what at the offensive tackle position, you can see those flaws so much more guard. I've seen so many guards on the high school level, I, I just like off of memory, where I'm just watching them I'm like, man, this guy is a, a dominant dude, like just destroying people. Mm-hmm. But again, like you said, that's keeping that kid kind of in an, in a box a little bit, right? Like it's keeping him out of out of the real limelight of like what type of athlete he is. And I think it's a great point to just illustrate that we want to see how these kids can translate to the next level. And there's no better way than getting put on the quote unquote islands. Like you could just see those things so much easier right. and how they move to the second level, right. how they pull around and lead, how they work in pass protection. There is nowhere to hide when you're an offensive tackle. Right. So we have kind of established what we're going to expect to see from, from Harry Heastan. I, I think one of the interesting things is I feel like far too often in the, in coach Quinn's first couple of years, he went away from that a little bit and you saw more guys that were more sort of, kind of more pure interior guys, you know, like I think Notre Dame in 2021 class, which was a really good class signed two guys that were pretty much pure interior guys. I know Rocco played a little bit as a tackle as a senior, but he had mostly played inside. Pat Coogan was obviously an inside guy. Mm -hmm. And, and now you look at it and you say, okay, you look at the 2022 class, which is a really good class. My concern about the 2022 class is that there's really only one guy in the class that I for sure feel like is going to be a le- an offensive tackle at the next level. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a given that Ty Chan's going to be able to stay a tackle in, at the next level. I don't think that's a given. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, that's where I'm going to try him. I'm going to give him that opportunity, but it's not a given. And obviously Ashton Craig and Joey Tonona were recruited to be more interior guys, although I still believe Joey Tonona could play right tackle. I, I, I love Joey Tonona. He could play right tackle if you need him to. But he's better suited inside. So I think that's the, the that's a very important in this class, 2023. Notre Dame has to get multiple players that can play that can play tackle. And obviously, it's yeah. it's not hard to move tackles inside, with the exception of they're just too long, mm-hmm. or or they play with re- they're tall and play with bad pad level, right? That combination. You know, if you're six five and you play with crap pad level, I don't want you as my center if I'm a quarterback. You know, I don't care how tall I am. Right. So I think that's a that to me is 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 going to be important. You say, well, you know, they've got they've got their tackles of the future. A, sure, but hopefully those guys stay healthy. Right. One of them just had an injury that cost them all but two games. Right. I mean, injuries happen. 
And obviously you can move guys inside, but you know, you, you start getting a little bit of separation where let's say you, you know, the tackles you get come in when they arrive, Blake Fisher's going to be a junior. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be Blake Fisher's last year. No name. I think you, if he's I'm as likely. good as I think he is, it might be his last year. No name. They red shirt mm-hmm. and then they're red shirt freshman when they're taking over. So that's, it is important that you get the tackles because this is, this is what I often think we lot we lose is, we forget that, okay, but what grade are these? You know, we look at Blake Fish and Joe Walters. Well, they're freshmen. Yeah, but they're not going to be freshmen when this class shows up. This class is going to show up. They're going to be they're going to be juniors. Mm-hmm. And Joe Walton, Blake, I mean, Blake Fisher redshirted, but I don't think anyone's living under the illusion that Blake Fisher is going to be a five-year player at Notre Dame. If he is, it's something bad happened for him. And I I pray it's one of those ones where you root for a kid not to be here for four years or five years, because it means He's as good as you think he is, and if he's not, if he is still here, then that means something bad happened for the kid. You know, one thing. Right. So sure. it is important in this class, Ryan. I think tackle is important not just for the big picture reasons that we discussed, but I think mm-hmm. practically speaking, you need tackles because Tosh Baker will be a senior when these guys show up. Yeah, we don't know about. I mean, Emil Wagner has a very high ceiling, but a little bit of a lower floor based on the frame. Mm-hmm. I think tackle is still a bit of a question mark when you look at where will it be when this class is in their second and third years. Right. That's how you have to look at it because you don't recruit linemen with the thought they're going to play as freshmen. Even a guy like Blake Fisher, you don't think, like, up oh, we're recruiting him to start as a freshman. Sometimes they do, but you don't necessarily recruit that way. You don't yeah. want to have to recruit that way. And so when you look at it, like when you look at where where will the roster be when these guys are in their second and third years, there's not a lot of tackle options. So that's mm-hmm. also why it's important that Notre Dame get at least two guys that definitely can play tackle at the next yeah. level. And, and no matter what level you're on, it's hard to find good tackles. I mean, mm-hmm. the NFL is starving for tackles right now. College football teams, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that is happy at both offensive tackle spots, just in a mm-hmm. general sense, not even outside of what the roster construction is for Notre Dame. It's hard to find really good offensive tackle play. It looks like Notre Dame may have hit the jackpot because if, if Blake Fisher's as good as we think he can be over the next couple of years, he's a stud. Joe Walt played better than anyone anticipated as a true freshman. He could be a stud. So you could have your your bookends for two more years. But to your point, these 2023 kids are not going to be there until they're juniors, until um, until Tosh Baker's a senior. I think Michael Carmody will also be a senior, although he may be moved inside the guard potentially also. So that's going to be another potential, not, you know, another offensive tackle who's not necessarily on the offensive tackle depth chart. And then, I mean, Ty Chan maybe sticks an offensive tackle, like you said. Emil Wagner, we'll see how the body develops. Maybe he's a player. Maybe he's a guy that just can't keep the weight properly on. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of question marks for sure. And it's also, and I I don't know if people are going to push back on this a little bit, it's a lot easier to find good offensive guards than it is to find good offensive tackles. It's just in my, I mean, generally speaking, in my opinion. like Because the athletic demands and the length demands aren't as – Great for again, we're talking about for Notre Dame, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's the thing is we're talking oh, for about sure. for Notre Dame. Yes, yeah, I agree with you. It's easier to find guys who can handle playing tech guard than it is because mm-hmm. a guy. No, I'm not going to use him because that that I, I was I'm, I don't want to keep beating on the kid. Basically, a guy can be an, a solid guard and be part of a group because you can protect him on both sides. That's the thing about guard play and center play. You can protect the center or guard on both directions. Absolutely. A lot of times you can't protect the tackle anywhere. When you're yeah. pass setting, 
you can help late, but you can't protect them. And the ways to protect them expo- hurt you even more because you got to chip, you got to put a tight end in. There's things like that. Like a tackle has to play in space. He has to be one on one. You can go through a whole game and a center, you know, blocks one on one ten times, right? <laughs> Run and pass game. Tackles mm-hmm. are going to do that at least twenty times, in my opinion. And, and so that's yeah, you're right. It's easier to find interior players, and and now great interior players. It's a different question, sure. But you know, to find guys that can play inside is is certainly easier to, at at a high level. Again, if we're this is especially true if we're talking about high level players, because if you look at it, a lot of Notre Dame's elite interior players, whether they are guys that played interior in college or guys that became interior guys in the in the pros, like Zach Martin, mm-hmm. were left tackles in yep. high school or, or offensive tackles in high school. So it goes back to our point. So the good thing is I'll say is as much as I, as much as I criticized Jeff Quinn for some of the recruiting strategy, too many interior guys, you know, not getting, you know, missing out on a lot of the top level prospects. The good news is, is Harry, he stands walking into a situation, Ryan, Mm-hmm. that that two, twofold part of it is a, a, a plus for Jeff Quinn and Tommy Reese. And the other plus is just you get lucky sometimes. And, and, and it changes from year to year. The first part of it is there's a good, there was a good impressive list already together of guys that at least had, and you've talked like, you know, Monroe Freeling, Solon Absher, Samson Okanlola, guys that had already kind of built a somewhat of a connection with coach Quinn, which we talked about. Yeah, but the other thing that I think is benefiting Notre Dame is there are some really, really good players, like top 100 caliber offensive linemen in this class, that are in very pro Notre Dame areas. Mm-hmm. And this is some data that Ryan put together for me. I'm just going to quickly throw out uh, as we discuss this. You know, 13 different states talking about Harry He stands recruiting success in Notre Dame. 13 different states recruited in five cycles. You had guys obviously in the Midwest, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, guys like that, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, California, Tennessee, Louisiana, and Florida. And obviously Louisiana was Jerry Tillery, who ultimately became a defensive tackle. And then he recruited guys from Kentucky, Michigan, Massachusetts, three from Pennsylvania, two from Illinois, one from Jersey. He turned out to be pretty good. Uh, (laughs) Tennessee, Maryland, three from Ohio, Idaho. That was Tristan Hodge, Louisiana, Florida. He had two and then California. The two in Florida, I'm trying to remember who this was Dylan Gibbons and Parker Boudreau, correct? Yes. Now, the other thing is, is Coach Eastan would have had a third guy from Florida if he didn't leave to go to the NFL because he was going to get Nicholas Pettit-Ferrer from Ohio yes. that went to Ohio State. So I, I know right. people at Ohio State, like literally people on staff at Ohio State will tell me, yeah, we will, if Harry doesn't leave, we don't get that kid. Right? He was mm-hmm. going to Notre Dame. <laughs> so yeah. you would have had to trade Jarrett Patterson for him, basically, is, is how it would have gone. Uh, so, I mean, we could debate whether that would have been a plus or not, but the, from a, just from a recruiting ranking standpoint, I think it would, and I also think Ryan, he would have been a much better player in the Matt Bayless strength system and mm-hmm. a much better player in, and being coached by Harry Easton than he, than he was at Ohio state. Oh, My sure. one issue with Mickey Marotti is he's a great strength coach, but I think sometimes his line get a little bit big and stiff. And, you know, we, we've seen that with a lot of guys. So Notre Dame tries to focus on flexibility and explosiveness and range and athleticism with Matt Bayless. 17 of the 19 high school guys were, were, uh, as you mentioned, were, uh, were offensive tackles. However, I will say you could, you could kind of say 18 because Hunter Biven played center, I believe his last year, but there were, there were times throughout his career Mm -hmm. where they did use Hunter Biven to tackle. 
Sure. So, I mean, it's it's an impressive thing. And Tristan Hodge was at least 6'4 coming out. Yeah. So I mean, he wasn't exactly short. That's just the position he played him in. This sure. year, you look at like the regions that you talk about. You've got Illinois has a top 100 lineman that Notre Dame's in a really good position with. There's mm-hmm. a five-star kid from Massachusetts. There's a kid from Northern Jersey, an area where Coach Eastan had and Notre Dame have had some success, which we'll, we'll get into the specific names. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's there's kids from regions where Notre Dame has Ohio. There's a lineman from Ohio that Notre Dame is in on. There are there are kids from regions that in the past Coach Eastan has had success with, mm-hmm. and I think that has to be looked at as like that only makes it even it sets up the potential for an even better a better situation because at the end of the day it's going to come down to closing for this offensive staff you know can you yeah. close mm-hmm. and and i think the the geographic makeup of the current of the 2023 class sets coach he stand up in my opinion even more for success because of that i mean how often is notre is notre dame going to have a five-star offensive lineman from New Jersey. How, I mean, from Massachusetts. How often is Notre Dame going to have a top fifty offensive lineman from Illinois who happens to be a great student, and you know, all all the different things that make up Charles Jagosaw? So yeah. he's walking into a pretty good situation in a lot of different ways as well, which again adds pressure because hey, look, you don't have any excuses now to mm-hmm. not have a, a big time class, and and I, not that Harry Heisen would ever look for an excuse. I'm just making a point that. It's a positive, but at the same time, it means you you got to get it done. You got to get the job done. Yeah, no, and it's it's a great. I think it was just a great illustration of the impact that Coach Easton because I, I think he does get and again some of it's warranted coming back from the situation that he's coming back from not being in college football for a little bit and being in the NFL most recently and taking a couple years off. So like I get the hesitancy, but he has shown us in the past when he was locked into recruiting. I mean, he will go anywhere. Like again, that that list. You're going all the way down to Louisiana and Florida. You're going all the way up to places like Massachusetts. You're right. going to California. Like you're going everywhere, East Coast, all the way out to the West Coast of California. So there is no limit, in my opinion, to the reach of a guy like Harry Heastan on the recruiting trail. And we are seeing, like you said, I mean, you got Samson Okalola from Massachusetts. You got Monroe Freeling from South Carolina. You got Sullivan Absher from North Carolina. A couple of the guys are on the list, which surprisingly, you know, just kind of looking at the list, uh, the Carolinas has actually been a place that Coach Heeson has not touched at this point yet at Notre Dame. But you got Chase Besantis, like you said, the last time Notre Dame recruited a uh, – a new, well, last time Coach Heastan recruited a New Jersey offensive lineman, ended up being you know pretty okay. Not not a bad career at Notre Dame, and a pretty decent player in the NFL as well. And then, right. like you said, Austin Sierveld out there in Ohio as well as a guy that's on the board for Notre Dame as well. Which Coach Heastan has had a lot of success, obviously in the state of Ohio. Well, and you look at it. I mean, we could we could nitpick and say. Well, he got three offensive linemen from Florida, but we don't count Robert Hainsey as being a Florida kid. He just he Pittsburgh to, guy. Yeah, he's a yeah. Pittsburgh guy. But yeah. you look at his big classes, his 2013 class, which was an elite class. It's mm-hmm. the class that got Steve Elmer, Mike McGlinchey, John Montalus, Hunter Bivin, and Colin McGovern. They were kids from Massachusetts, Kentucky, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. So sort of a Midwestern, Northeastern feel. Mm-hmm. Yep. The next next year, he gets another great class. That had even more mixture because you had New Jersey, Quentin Nelson, you had Tennessee with Alex Barge, you had Maryland with Sam Mustafer, Maryland, D.C., and then you had Ohio with Jimmy Byrne. Yep. Then you look at the 2017 class. So, like, the 15 class, was that was the one where you had Louisiana, Jerry Tillery, he ends up going to D-line. 
16, you had two studs from Ohio, so there wasn't quite as much. But then a kid from Florida in Parker Boudreaux. And in the 17 class, you had Aaron Banks from California. You had two Pennsylvania kids, although one was in Florida. And then you had a Florida kid. I mean, so you can't get much more geographically different than where Aaron Banks and, and Dylan Gibbons were, and they all made up a, a strong class. And then, you know, 2018, you go up to Minnesota and you're putting Notre Dame in good position with Quinn Carroll, and then Jeff Quinn comes in and, and seals the deal and gets the job done. Sure. So you 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 were able to you were able to, like you said you were able to go across the country, but it is pretty obvious that Coach Eastan prefers sort of that that you know Illinois bottom of Illinois kind of Kentucky Tennessee over and up based on what yeah. he did in the past. But I also think that we're starting to see more shifts. You know, we're every year population shifts start to impact you in some way, mm-hmm. and and part of the reason that we're we're seeing more. Carolina kids because there's two of them on the board this year yep. that Notre Dame really likes and we're about to get in some names is because I think we're starting to see more guys that play that position. Look, the reality is some some areas just don't produce certain types of players. Sure, right? Like you're not going to go to Pennsylvania and get five million guys that run four threes. Right? There's going to yeah. be the occasional Romney Gallagher, Will Fuller, guys like that, but they they don't produce them like they did in 1988 when in uh, the 87, 88, when Notre Dame got Rocket and Ricky Waters and, you know, guys like that. So you, you have to kind of go where the talent is, and and you're seeing more of that now. So you're seeing them hit that now. Sure. Which is important because the Mid-Atlantic, and we started to see this shift towards the end of te- uh, he stands tenure as a staff, but Notre Dame is really in recent years since he's left, just as a program at all positions started to ramp up that Mid-Atlantic region. And I think it's going to be very, very, very important that, like, from D, from Jersey down to South Carolina, that right up that East Coast, there's a ton of good linemen every year. Mm-hmm. If you can start getting the best from that region with the best from Illinois and on over to Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, you start dominating the East Coast and to in the Midwest. I mean, that's where here he stands. You're going to occasionally get a kid from California. You're going to occasionally get a kid from Texas. You're going to occasionally get a kid from Florida. But that right there, like that L shape, right, kind of thing, or maybe it's better to have a T shape, right? Like just from Illinois mm-hmm. right over and then up to up to you know Massachusetts and Jersey and then down to the Carolinas. That's where you're gonna make your living as a as yeah. recruiting offensive lineman to the University of Notre Dame. Yeah, no, I agree completely. That's definitely the territory. And I, it always just seems, and this is more speculation on my part, like that region seems to me like that Ohio, Indiana, like that region right there, Iowa, obviously, including that. A lot of wrestlers that also play football out there, but we're talking about linemen, right? And we, I mean, we have a couple in this class that we're about to talk about that are state champion wrestlers. Two of the top is, three kids that we're going to yes. talk about. Here's yep. something that's – the three top players on the board are all multi-sport uh, sport players, which I yes. love. But mm-hmm. two of the top three this past week just won state championships in wrestling. Yep, you are you are correct. That's uh, that's very impressive. Yeah. So Ryan, let's transition into that. Let's transition, sure. I and mean, we've talked a lot of big picture stuff. Let's kind of get into setting the table for the guys on the board, and and just kind of give our thoughts on them as players, and just kind of give the latest on you know, where things stand. Cause there's not a ton new, right. Mm-hmm. For these guys, the first guy, and this isn't necessarily the order, like the way that Notre Dame views it. in my, from what I know, it's not Samson Okanola is number one. So-and-so is number two. So-and-so is number three. There's a group of about five players 
that they, they want to get, in my opinion, yeah. this class from basically. You can sit maybe six, but mm-hmm. there's three, there's three to four, especially at the top, that are just all give me any of those guys. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do it in order because you gotta you gotta do it somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so we're just gonna kind of start with the guy that you and I have number one on the board. Yep. And this is this is Ryan and Brian talking. This isn't us telling you what Harry what Harry he's saying and Tommy Reese think. This is our opinion. Sure. So the first guy on the board for us is Samson Okalola, who yeah. is I don't know if I don't know if I, I don't give many juniors five star rankings, but if I was going to give one to an offensive lineman, he'd be in that conversation. But just a really talented kid, Ryan. First of all, before we get to recruiting, you know, we we just late we just spent forty minutes talking about what Notre Dame looks for. How does Samson Okalola fit that? Well, I mean, so Samson Okalola, of course, 6'6", 295. He has a tackle build. Like <laughs> that's just, I mean, flat out. Athletic kid, one of the one of the young men that we just talked about. He just won a state championship in in Massachusetts in wrestling out of Thayer Academy. So he is a very athletic, strong, functionally strong young man that has a lot, still a lot of room to grow. I mean, that that frame I think could hold another fifteen to twenty pounds without any problem at all. And he's already right around two hundred ninety five, three hundred pounds. Very intelligent young man. And he is, I mean, everybody's hot on the trail for a guy like an Oklahoma. I think he holds 44, 45 offers somewhere in that ballpark. So there's a lot of schools that are going at, after him. The first five-star recruit in twenty and 247 sports history out of the state of Massachusetts. So he is well worth all the hype. And I mean, I, I know Sam has put out, you know, he has a 7-1 wingspan, all that. Time. Like this kid is a traditional, this is a tackle. Right, like you're not going to move Samson Okalola into guard. There is no need to do that. He is a true offensive tackle, special football player, and he has, I mean, I just all the makings. Right, like he understands leverage, obviously, from the wrestling side of everything. Good hand usage that's continuing to develop, and the tools for me are just outrageous. Like this kid has five star talent, five star upside, and he's also a an excellent student athlete that. Every 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 university is going to have interest in because he is as talented as he is. Uh, I think you're on mute, Brian. I don't know if it's your. No, it's my mic again. There you go. That's yeah. a nice save, by the way. You pause and I, you saw I was getting ready to talk, and I was like, yeah, I and saw you that, just yeah. so good save, well done, appreciate that. I'm gonna say I'm gonna push back on one thing. I agree with what you're okay. saying. However, yep. you're not gonna keep Samson Oklahoma on the bench if he's good enough to play and you've got Blake Fisher and Joe Alt at tackle. Like, so to your point, you're not recruiting him thinking I'm going to move him to guard, right? You're recruiting him because he, as you said, he is a tackle. However, as we saw with other players, if the, if the fastest way to get him on the field, let's just say Blake Fisher and Joe Walt all come back for their senior years. And that goes into Samson's sophomore year. He's the kind of kid that he like, like Quentin Nelson, like, you know, like Tommy Kramer, like Roddy Stanley, like a lot of the, the great players, Zach Martin, they all, all those guys kind of stepped into the starting lineup as second year players. And, and so I, I look at a lot of those guys. I mean, Liam Eikenberg was a bit of an exception. That's because he, you know, was behind Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey was a bit more raw. He needed a little bit more time. He didn't start till his like third year. Well, he started at the end of his second year, but you, you get the point being, if if that's the fastest way to get him in the lineup, I, I know Ryan doesn't disagree with me. I'm, at least I don't think he does. You're going to put him in at guard if that's the way to get him on the field with Blake Fisher and Joel in the starting lineup. The, the point is, though, and I think what you're saying, if correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, is 
You're not recruiting him with the thought of, hey, let's try him out at guard. It's look, this is our tackle of the future, but we're also if if we got to get him on the field for a year. But I think which, but I think what you would also probably agree with Ryan is, but you probably kick him back out the next year when Blake and Joe all go pro. If you're in that situation, would you? Yeah. Was all that kind of reflect what you? What yeah. you're saying? I was talking long-term outlook. Right. He is a tackle, right? right? Like his best position is an offensive tackle. Could he have a Evan Neal type of trajectory where, hey, your offensive tackles are solidified. You have Jedrick Wills and you have Alex Leatherwood. We're going to put him in at offensive guard as a true freshman? Possible. But mm-hmm. long-term outlook is specifically, this kid is an offensive tackle. You're not recruiting him and saying, eh, offensive tackle, offensive guard, he fits best at guard, we're going to keep him there for four years. I I, right. I don't think that you keep an athlete to the caliber right. of a Samson Okalola inside a guard. And and I would say that that's the kind of athlete that Harry Heastan and Notre Dame in general just don't get a lot. Some, somebody made a point, Michael makes the point, that Samson Okalola reminds me of a kid that typically resides in the South and plays in the SEC, and I agree completely. And Notre Dame, that's what makes Blake Fisher unique. Kids that are just built like Blake Fisher tend to be from Texas on right over. I mean, it's Texas, Louisiana, Georgia, Mississippi. I was going to say a Texas or Louisiana kid. That's what I picture. (laughs) Uh, That's just kind of how you, you know, because when you think of you, when you think of the North, you think of like Quentin Nelson, you think of Liam Eikenberg, just the bigger kind of country boy type of, you know, strength kind of thing. And and that's what Samson is that just like Ronnie Stanley was, built like that kind of kid you typically find in the southeast he was from las vegas right i mean so you're gonna find those guys every now and then somewhere else i think it's like quentin nelson to me is a guy that you typically find in the south you know that 330 broad shouldered you know because normally in the north you find guys that are like 290 and you got to build them up to like 305 you know what i mean like for whatever reason in the south you get those kids that are like 320 I don't know what it is, but it's like, you know, Quentin, that's why like Quentin Nelson, I mean, Quentin Nelson carries 330 better than most people, most linemen carry 290, you know, just that's how they're built. And Samson to me is, I think Mike nails it. Samson is like that. I think Ronnie Stanley was like that. Blake Fisher is like that. And when you can find those type of guys, you in the North somewhere, you have to get them. If you're Notre Dame, you have to. And because the things that are at a disadvantage for you when you're recruiting the kids from Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, is you don't have geography working against you when you're recruiting Samson. Because, hey, Georgia's no, as I mean, you're probably closer to Massachusetts than Georgia is, I would think. You know, so I think that's, that's again, he's a must get for me in this class. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Ahead, I agree because, I mean, we talked about Dante Moore all the time, right? Being in the backyard two and a half hours. Like, this is the rare thing. A five-star offensive tackle for Massachusetts, it's literally never happened before, at least according to 24-7 sports. So you need to get this kid because he is a North kid. He is a Northern kid, Northeast guy that just it just makes so much sense from a playing perspective, how Notre Dame has traditionally operated out of the offensive line, obviously is a big selling point. And he's a great student athlete. Just it kind of fits every criteria that you would want with Coach. He stands. They have to make a big push for him, and he is. I don't. I don't know if I would quite call him a, a musket as as you would, because I do like a lot of what the other board looks like. But it, it, with this kid geographically where he is, the talent level he is, you need to be able to take a big push for him. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to say he is because of number one, the, the mainly the location, but number two is if you don't get him, you're going to be coaching against him. 
because he's going to go to somebody that you're going to be competing for a championship with. He's going to go to Georgia, Ohio State, somewhere like that. That's my point. And, and that's what getting the elite players means. It's not just that you're getting an elite player, but it means that Bama's not getting or Ohio State's not getting. or Georgia. You're not beating Kentucky for elite players very often. And so that to me is is why it, it, he's he's a must get for me, and also because I think in he Coach Eastan and, and Tom Reese need to make that kind of splash in this first class. So it's not a him or the next couple of guys. It's got to be him and. So I'm going to say the exact same thing, Ryan, about the next two guys that we're going to talk about because I think they're all must gets because it's different in quarterback where it's like you get one dude and you're good. I think they need to get three of these musket guys because number one, you need to replenish your tackle depth chart. Meaning we talked about like, you're not going to have Blake Fisher and Joe Walt for very many years at the same time you have this class coming up. And, and I think that, and I think that will then make it easier because here's where it helps. If these guys are legit tackles, these next couple guys we talk about and, and Samson and Notre Dame gets them, you're going to be a lot more confident and comfortable. Hey, we don't have to worry about trying to cross train Joey Tanone at tackle. If we don't think Joe, you know, if you're looking at it from a coach's perspective, if we don't think Ty Chan's really a great tackle, but we think he'd be great inside, you don't have to play that game of, but we don't have a lot of tackles. Let's you know, slide him inside, move him inside, give him that chance to compete there. And I think that's another reason. So it impacts everything that they're doing. But to your point, this is where I think you are, where you're coming from. And I think you're absolutely right is he's not. If you don't get him, you're not going to get a stud tackle because there's a couple other really good tackles on the board. The next one is a guy that I know you love, and, I, and I'll and i be one to bet you. I think I know you well enough to know that your first thought when I said must get, your first thought was, hold on a second, don't forget about Monroe Freeling. Am I right? Am I well, right? I- I mean, I really do like Monroe Freeland. You know me too well at this point. He's, and again, we talked about Samson being, you know, probably that bona fide left tackle, but you could, you could contend in my opinion that Monroe Freeling may be the most natural blindside protector as far as a pass protector, because we talked about, and we're going to talk a little bit about Jagasaw too, that the the wrestling background with Samson and with Charles Monroe, on the other hand, is a basketball player. And you see those light feet, and you see that explosiveness, and it's on film all over the place. And he's about six foot seven, two hundred eighty, two hundred eighty-five pounds, clean weight. Like he, and he might not be a legit two eighty-five right now. He might be closer to like two seventy, two seventy-five. Especially during basketball season, yes. Especially during basketball season, but he has such a clean frame that he's going to carry three hundred without with ease, in my opinion, because he just has the body to easily put it on. Like there's not that. Some guys are a victim of, and this is the Emil Wagner thing, right? If we put on too much weight, will that sacrifice the right. foot quickness that we love so yeah. much in his game? I don't think that you're going to sacrifice it with Monroe because I think he's just a more naturally big young man. Like right. I just see a better frame. And I think that he's a kid that could be a true left tackle, could be a mm-hmm. multi-year starter at Notre Dame because I think that he is a physically gifted player. Incredible foot quickness for that size. With a guy that's six foot seven, sometimes you see – maybe a little bit of slow de- redirection because they have long legs and it just usually takes a little bit to get move laterally. You don't see that with Monroe. He is incredibly light on his feet and he could be a true left tackle down the road for Notre Dame. I would throw him in that category of, of Southern body. And, and because look like Mike McGlinchey, you had to puff him up to get to three Oh five, three ten, Right. And we've talked yeah. about this. The, the, I'll, I'm willing to bet that within a year of Mike McGlinchey retiring from the NFL, whenever that happens, he's going to be down to two forty like that. I mean, like nothing. 
where Quinn Nelson's never going to see 240. I mean, just, just he's just a naturally humongous guy. Monroe yeah. is like that, right? To me, he is going to mm-hmm. easily be 310, 315, in my opinion, of, of, to your point, of good, natural, like, you know, football weight. Obviously, it's not natural from the standpoint of if he didn't play football, he wouldn't be 315. But I mean, natural mean being able to carry that comfortably. You see a lot more kids from the South, and I don't know why that is. So I'm not trying to say why. It's just the it's just the reality. Uh, there's a lot more Southern kids that can weigh 315 with ease. Where if Liam Eikenberg got to 315, he's going to struggle to move. And it just it's just if Robert Haynes got to 315, he couldn't move. You just for whatever reason, you just see those different body types. And yeah. I think Monroe Freeling is one of those guys. It's he is when he stops playing basketball. You're going to see that weight go on easily, and and that's going to because he's got broad shoulders, you know, big feet, big hands, big mid, big core section where that weight's going to come on pretty easily, and he's going to be an athletic 310 plus pound guy, and that's the thing I like about this group is if they can land the guys that we're going to talk about, it ups your athleticism of the group a ton, and when you combine it with this year's class, which I think has some really athletic guys for the inside, and then Emil Wagner, we don't know about the weight thing, but there's no doubting at his athleticism. I, I really like Joey Tonona's athleticism, how it plays inside. I love Billy Shrouse's athleticism for how it plays inside. Ashton Craig is a really athletic player, isn't it? it I mean, he Ashton Craig has the athleticism of a tackle. I just don't think he has the body of a tackle. But athletically, he's a tackle. So if you can combine, you know, Samson and Monroe and the next guy we're going to talk about with that group, now all of a sudden Notre Dame's athleticism quotient on the offensive line went way up, in my opinion, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the next person you're talking about is Charles Jagasa out of mm-hmm. Illinois. Again, just won his state championship in wrestling as well, uh, like Samson. And he is just – I mean – Talk about a guy that might project inside the guard. Like he could play tackle. There's no doubt in my mind. But I mean, the kid is six foot six, 300 plus pounds right now. And it is a clean six, six, 300 pounds. This kid, in my opinion, and I know I mentioned it last time we're on, Brian, like his body reminds me a little bit of Trey Smith. I think yeah. he could be 330, I 335. Love, man. Loves Trey Smith coming out of yeah. high school. He's just a massive guy, man. And whether he is 320, 335, it's just good weight. There's a, it's like not, it's not where he's just like, oh man, just b- bad weight on him. You got to take it off. You right. got to put better weight on. Like, big. this kid's going to be massive. Yeah. Jagasaw is going to be a huge young man. And he yeah. has, in my opinion, you know, when the, when the pad level is consistent, he is just, I mean, impent, imposing. As a as a run blocker, absolute physical dude, and there is just some untapped potential. And I mean, the dream, in my opinion, is you know if everybody if everything shakes out, yep, Okanlola, Monroe Freeling, Jagasaw inside. Yeah. Let's work some double teams. <laughs> That's and- a heck of a. Class. <laughs> I mean, at that point, it's like who who else are you gonna get? <laughs> Don't care. <laughs> like, you know, like, let me ask you this, Ryan, because I want you to explain this because sure. you and I you and I are in agreement on this, but I think I think people need to understand this. Uh, because I think it's also true of a guy like Quentin Nelson. You and I agree that Charles is, has the frame and athleticism to absolutely be a tackle in college. I don't know if I'd put him as like that. He's definitely not that pure left tackle. I view him as more of a right tackle like Robert Hainsey, Josh Lug, kind of you know Mike McGlinchey. Because I think Mike McGlinchey was always a more pure right tackle than a left tackle. 
but we also both agree that his best position may ultimately be inside because of the demeanor, right? So can you explain that to, to people? Like what, when you and I t- say that and we look at film and we talk about a guy like, well, what do you mean he can't play? Go- he's not, we're not saying he can't play tackle. We think he can play tackle, but we think that there's some other at- traits about him might fit in well in guard. Can you explain that to people so they understand yeah. where we're coming from on that? Yeah, there's there's a few guys that, in my opinion, could be good tackles, but may transition better inside for, like you're saying, and a lot of people talk about the body typing, right? And Charles is going to hit all those. You're going to be like, he's 6'6", with long arms. Why can't he be a tackle? He's got functional foot quickness, and he can. The answer but what Charles Jagasaw does best, he has a temperament about him. Mm-hmm. When you're an offensive tackle, there is more of a finesse feel to you, right? You're navigating space. You have to work, you know, to, to, to set points. You have to work to leverage points in the run game. That is sometimes more important than just being able to put your, well, not put your head down because that's not the proper technique, but to, to be able to drive off the line of scrimmage in a, in a, just a nasty manner and move people. And I, when I see Charles Jagasa, I feel like the more condensed space that he is going to play in, the more movement that is he he is going to create. And I think that the overall talent level right. is going to be unlocked to a right. degree. Can he play at right tackle? I think he yes. can. And Trey Smith played a little bit at offensive tackle at Tennessee. Tra- but Trey Smith saw... could have been a left tackle at Tennessee. Oh, There's absolutely. No question. No and, and he did and he did play a little left right. tackle, but you right. saw when he was in a guard, there was just a different feel because that yeah. guy wants to go forward right. and he wants to move people off the football. And that's that temperament difference yeah. we're talking about comparative inside to outside. And I think that's why the Quentin Nelson example is so important because I, I don't know if you agree with this. I, I This is what I think. I absolutely believe that if Quentin Nelson, if Notre Dame would have said, Quentin, you're a tackle. And if Quentin Nelson would have said, nope, I'm not moving the guard, I'm a tackle. He would have been a multi-year starter at Notre Dame. He would have probably been an All-American, not, not to, more of a McGlinchey, Eichenberg type of All-American than a than a what he was, which is one of the most dominant linemen I've ever seen. And I think he's a 10-year NFL pro as a right tackle, in my opinion. I think Quentin Nelson is a 10-year, and he would make multiple Pro Bowls, in my opinion, as a, just a right tackle. Athletically, athletically, the reason he wouldn't have been as dominant as a tackle is because his nature – is antithetical a bit to what you want in a modern tackle. 30 years ago, Quentin Nelson is a left tackle, and he's exactly what he was as a guard because the game was different, right? But now you have to have a little bit of a, okay, let me see what's happening. Let me get in my set. There needs to be a level of patience and, and where Quentin just wants to come off and, and crush you. Now, he's had to learn some patience in the NFL because, it, again, it's an NFL game, but – He's just that guy that he wants to come off. He wants to make contact as quickly as possible. He wants to fight. He doesn't want to give ground. And as a tackle, you have to do this. So that's what I'm talking about. It's it's not that physically, lengthwise, athletically, all those things, Quentin Nelson can play tackle. It's just that his 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 temperament, his demeanor, what makes him him is best suited inside. And I think that's that's when you can build an elite line, Ryan. When you're moving guys to guard because they can't play tackle, you're going to be good inside, but you're not going to be elite. The best guards to me, and it's it's not always true in the NFL, but it's just more of my personal view. I want guards and a center that are playing guard and center because they can, not because they can't play tackle. And I think that's the that's what Kerry Heastan is looking at. That's what's so important because if you give me a guy at guard that can play tackle, 
I'm going to have a really flipping long athletic offensive line. And I think this year at Notre Dame, there's a chance that you could have five starters that really could play tackle for Notre Dame. You know, look, Josh Lugg and, and Andrew Christoffick both could play tackle in Notre Dame to varying degrees. Jared Patterson definitely could play tackle in Notre Dame. Or Rocco Spindler could be a right tackle at Notre Dame. In my, I mean, he's the guy that could do that. With Unless Zeke Carell starts, I think all those guys could play tackle at Notre Dame. And that's why another reason why I think this line has a chance to be really good because they're going to bring back physicality. They're going to bring back toughness and fundamentals. But this is an athletic group, and I would argue it's more athletic than the one he left behind. You know, because I would argue yeah. that with all due respect, with the exception of left guard, right, He, they're more athletic, in my opinion, at right tackle Blake Fisher, with all due respect to Robert Hainsey, than Robert Hainsey was. I think Robert Hainsey probably tell you that. Yeah. You know, right guard, that would be the an except guard would be the exception because I, I think Alex Bars was was more athletic at guard than Josh Lug is now with all the injuries. Jared sure. Patterson is more athletic than Sam Musfer. I'm not saying he's a better player. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm not trying to get into that argument. Athletic and yeah. people get in my Twitter DMs. Um and and but he's more athletic. And then I think Joe Alt is more athletic than Mike McGlinchey. Just because mm-hmm. I think Mike, because Mike is not a natural. If Mike was 250, he'd look way more athletic than he does now because he's mm-hmm. not a natural 310-pound guy. Sure. Um, now, that doesn't mean Mike Malich is not athletic, but I think Joe Alt carries that weight better. So I would argue it's at least as athletic as this 2017 line was. Now, we don't know if it's going to be as dominant. right? Sure. We're not talking <laughs> about dominance. We're not saying, oh, it's going to be better than the Joe Moore. It's not what we're saying. We're saying athletically. I think mm-hmm. this group has a chance to be that. And then looking forward, like post Joe, Josh Lug, that's mm-hmm. when you start being like, then it's, then the athleticism really uh, goes up a tick. Unless Josh Lug yeah. gets beat out, then it's going to happen now. If it's a Rocco or a Billy Shrouth or whoever else. Yeah. It's got a, it's got a chance to be a, a, a group of guys can flat out move. Mm-hmm. And I think that's huge in the modern, the modern college game, right? I, I, especially for no, because Notre Dame's not an air raid team where they're just going to play like. And here's what I mean by that: air raid teams, you want those big linemen because you're just running pit, pin and pull schemes all day. So you're not, you don't need great movers. You're just down blocking and being physical, and you know, yep. running some isos and some pin and pulls and things like that. Notre mm-hmm. Dame is more of a pro style offensive line, meaning inside zone, outside zone, counters buck sweep screen game where these guys can't just be little phone booth guys they gotta move they gotta get to the second level they gotta play in space they gotta be able to block corners on screen game they gotta be able to you know to do all they gotta be able to wrap around and get up inside the b gap from the back side on Mm -hmm. a pole and and not have to wait on and not where chris tyrese putting his hand on your back because he's waiting on you to get around right like (laughs) there's a level of athleticism that's required in this particular type of offense that you don't necessarily need in an air raid at USC or Oklahoma. And I think those are the things that, that why we're, why it's important to have the athleticism we talk about. Cause I don't think it was as important that Oklahoma had the level of athleticism that Notre Dame has. I think Oklahoma needed bigger, stronger, tougher guys. Orlando right? Brown. Yeah. Right. 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 And, and cause it's that, it fits that offense, but at Notre Dame, I think they need the athleticism and that's the thing I like, but, but this group, in my opinion, has that. And, and let's talk about a couple other guys, Ryan. So, yep. well, actually, before we do that, I did want to get you get just so we talked about Monroe Freeling and Charles Jagasaw. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the latest with those two guys? I know that neither kids are just now starting to set up their yeah. spring visits. A lot of these kids don't have stuff set up, so that's why there's not a lot to share. Like we said, Samson and, and Charles Jackson just finished their wrestling seasons this weekend. That's been their yeah. focus, mm-hmm. which is why there's not a lot of visits set up really anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, to go off of those two, right? Talking about Charles Jagasaw and Samson Okalola. I just spoke to. I literally just got off the phone with Samson probably like 15, 20 minutes before we got on here. He is just, you know, I just finished wrestling. I'm basically taking this week off, and then I'll figure out what, what the what the visits are going to be. So he's just, you know, kind of letting his body recover a little bit because it's a long, grueling. Uh, for any people that wrestle out there, wrestling season is a tough season to say the least, man. I, dropping weight and doing all that type of stuff. It's, it's not easy. And, and um, Charles is the same, the same uh, just checked in with, with Sean before we got on same type of deal. Charles is going to be setting up his visits this week, but he has nothing that is fully committed at this time. Monroe Freeling, I touched base with over the weekend. He told me that he'd have an update in a couple days because he is starting to finalize some visits. I know that he does have a visit coming up to Clemson. I do not Mm -hmm. have the date on that, but he will be visiting Clemson. Obviously, he's a South Carolina guy, so it's a much easier trip than coming all the way up to South Bend. But I do know that he is interested in getting back to South Bend this this spring or into the summer. And I I know that that is going to be one of the trips that he is going to make, but he has not set up any trips at this point aside from the Clemson trip as of now. Is he, he's still in season, correct? For basketball? I would assume so. That's the thing. I think basketball, if I'm, I'm trying to check on this now, but I don't think his basketball team season is over, which is also partly why I don't think they have, why he has a schedule yet. Clemson obviously is not very far away. Yes, which uh, it looks like they won their most recent game on Saturday, so it looks like they're still in the state tournament, unless mm-hmm. that was the state championship game. Yeah, they are. They are right now. There, there's still eight teams left in the state basketball tournament, and the next round of games. So they beat Lakewood this past weekend. No, I'm sorry, they beat Brooklyn Case this weekend. So their next game is Wednesday. They play Lakewood. If they win that game, their next game's not till the 28th. If they win that game, they're playing in the state championship March 4th. So he is still he is still very much in the middle of his season, which is, explains why he doesn't have any visits set up. He is still where Jagasaw and and Okanlola are because they are finished their season. So they're gonna sit down and make a decision. You right. know, Monroe is in a position where he doesn't know when he can start making visits yet because maybe he could start next weekend if they lose on Wednesday. Maybe he can start the first weekend in March. But if his basketball team's still playing, he's not going anywhere the first weekend of March except the state championship right. game. So uh, keep that in mind when you have these two-sport guys. They can't always just up and go whenever they want to. So uh, just wanted to kind of throw that out there as well. Absolutely. Yep. And Jagasaw, I think so. Sean Davis and I talked about this, right? I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. talked about it, but he thinks that Jagasaw could be a kid that that makes a couple visits and then just says, "Okay, I'm I'm done with this." Um, do you yeah. get that read as well from talking to I, him? So I just talked to Sean this morning when I was asking him about okay. the visit, and that's kind of the same vibe he gave to me mm-hmm. is that Jagasaw is very high on Notre Dame, and um, just full indication is that yeah. they're in very good position at the time. I yes. think Iowa is doing their best to to use the wrestling thing to try to convince him to go to Iowa. And mm-hmm. I mean, they also have some pretty good offensive line success. I'll say this. I think it would have been, a, Iowa would have had a much better chance before Harry Easton got hired. 
right. from conversation with Sean, it sounds like that was kind of like that. Okay, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, that's it. Oh, We're okay, good. like I was really close before, but now it's like, hmm, Harry, he stands there. I may, I may want to do this thing. So, of the three, I feel like he's probably the one that would decide the soonest. Yeah. If if I if I had to say what timeline looks like, I would say Charles is first. I would say Monroe Freeling second, and then I I think that. And again, I, I just talked to him briefly about timeline. Samson's still very much, I'm going to let this work itself out. Like, I'm going to take my visits. I'm going to make a decision when I feel like mm-hmm. I have a good decision made. So it's not really Which as means much. could be into the summer or yes. next or January. In, into the, yeah, into the season yeah. or even into the signing day. Like, it could be possible. I could see him taking officials in the fall, or I mean the summer, and then being mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm still not sure. And I want to yep. get to some games. Right. I just, I listened, I've listened to a couple interviews with him with like local people and other national things. And he just does not seem at all to feel the need to rush this thing, which is good. I, no kid should rush his decision. I mean, now there are some, there are certain circumstances that could lead to say, you, you might want to speed this up a little bit if you're a quarterback because of the impact it can have, but you should never make a decision until you're ready Absolutely. to make a decision. And, and so, yeah. but that's not the only three dudes on the board. There's some no. more guys on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a guy that's not too far from you. I know I, I can pretty much, as long as he's not committed somewhere else, I think there's at least one kid that you're probably going to go see this fall. And that is Chase Basantis from Don, ba- he's Don Bosco. I always get him yes. and the Birchmeyer kid from Virginia confused for some reason. Um, mm. but yeah, Chase Basantis is a kid from Jersey. Yep. He released like a, what a top 12 to 15 recently, still also very early in the recruiting process, Ryan. Talk to me about what you see from Chase Basantis as a player, and is there anything new with his recruitment, which I kind of already know yeah. the answer to. That. He's he's another young man that's taken it very slowly, right? Like he released the top 15 a couple weeks ago. Like that's just – he's he's taking his time with it, and that's just kind of is what it is. And I, I would say I'm not a – I'm not very, I don't want to say positive, but I don't, I don't have a great outlook for where Notre Dame stands currently with Chase Basantis, but we'll see, again, as Coach Heastan keeps ramping up, if that's a player that he thinks that he's going to make a priority. Uh, things obviously can flip very quickly, but Basantis to me kind of fits more of a Josh Lug, Alex Bars type of vibe, right? Like I think that he can play right tackle in a pinch. I think that he can last there, but ultimately I think that his best spot is inside at guard because I think that he, again, plays better in tight spaces. He's a really nasty dude. He plays with a great mm-hmm. temperament. He is a physical guy, right. 6'5", 305, and he has room to grow. He could be 320, 325, and he just right. has, kind of has that mauling presence to him. Right. So he's a guard inside, I think, at the next yeah. level, and a very good one, potentially. Right. I think in some offenses he could play right tackle in some offenses. Yep. I think at Notre Dame he's definitely an interior guy. And I, and, I, and it, it, part of it's – I mean, I, I think his body just is built more like an interior guy too. Not that he lacks length. He just just kind of built like a squatty. Even though he's tall, he's a squatty kind of build for an interior guy. Yeah, uh, and and you know, obviously Notre Dame hasn't had a ton of success at Don Bosco. I'm trying to think. I think the last guy they got from Don Bosco wasn't it like a wasn't Elijah Shoemate from Don Bosco. I believe so. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the last guy in 2012 mm-hmm. that Notre Dame's got from Don Bosco, which is just nuts. That that that, yeah. that, that kind of. I mean, I mean, they did really well in St. Peter's for a couple right. of years there, right? But Don yeah. Bosco now yeah. they got Wimbush and then got the. That got um, Adam Alola twins and, and, and St. Yeah. Simon in the same class. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think Northern Jersey is an area that Notre Dame hasn't given enough attention to in recent years. It's good football up there, man. Yeah. They're, they're and we've routines. seen some of those kids go to Michigan. And I mean, yeah. uh, there wasn't David Ajabo. He was from like that New York. Bla- like, Blair, Blair Academy. Him and, him and, um, him and, Owe, Owe. both are from Blair. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
I mean, that's there's some dudes that have come out of that state that you know have gone to Alabama. You know, obviously with Nick oh, yeah. Fitzpatrick. So that's a, a state. A- that, Anthony Anthony Everett's from um, Cedar Creek, I think, yeah. down here. Yeah. So there's some dudes that you like to see. Boy, um, John Mechie wasn't he from New Jersey as well? Or see he from a, he's a Maryland DC. I think he's guy. a DC he's guy. A Maryland DC, DC guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's what we talk about. Like that Jersey on down to the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good football a lot players. Of talent, man. Absolutely. And Notre Dame's got to do even more to to get it. I mean, anything above the Mason Dixon line, Notre Dame. It, when they've arrived as a program is when they're the first option for every kid above the Mason Dixon line. That's not from Ohio. I mean, that's just, that's just kind of how it needs to be with all due respect to Penn state. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's how it needs to be. Another guy that I know you're very high on. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, why we're trying to emphasize these guys is because it's not like if you don't get those top three, you're not getting good football players. There's some really good guys on this board. A guy yeah. that I know you're higher on, I think even higher than a lot of the recruiting services, is Sullivan Absher, who's another player from the state of North Carolina. Yeah, no, I, I think I am definitely because he's another kid that has the length and I think uh, functional athleticism to play tackle, but I, I think really inside a guard is his bread and butter because I just love the pad level and the physicality he plays with, and he's got explosiveness through his hips. I think just going forward is probably a little better, in my opinion, than working in pass sets and doing all that type of stuff. So I really like him inside a guard potentially. Um, he's a very quiet young man. I've talked to him a few times um, pretty recently as well. He's just very like – you know, uh, just kind of feeling out the process and he hadn't scheduled any, um, any new uh, visits last time I had spoken to him. And it, it's just, I, I don't think he's a kid in my opinion that really loves recruiting <laughs> to be honest with you. Like Which I just don't get he that vibe. Just at any minute, you know, exactly. Just, I just want to get this over with. Like he, yeah, he could, he could bust at any time, honestly, right. in my opinion, because I think that he had a great time going back to that junior day that he came out of Notre mm-hmm. Dame. When I talked to him, like he was pumped up about that. But for the most part, like when, when you speak to him, he's just like, he's just very like nonchalant. And he's just like, I, I don't, I don't know if he's like some guys I think really enjoy the recruiting aspect yes. of everything. And I'm not sure that that's him. Like, I think he just loves playing football, which is I'll awesome. I'll say this. I think yeah. Harry Heaston likes guys that don't like recruiting. I'm sure. Because <laughs> yeah. he wants guys to just want mass want to get to just go play football. Yeah. I'm going to say this, Ryan, you tell, I'm going to make this statement. You tell me if you agree or disagree with it. Had, Sullivan Absher visited in March instead of February. He would have committed after his visit. The reason I say that is, is because the timing of his visit with he stand had he even been hired officially yet, or had he just been hired? I don't think he'd been even officially hired yet. I don't think so. No, no. I don't. I think it was harder for that Notre Dame to make that push. Yes, to get him because I do believe he's a take for Notre Dame. If he wanted to come, I believe Notre Dame would take him. I think so too. But yeah. I think that's my that's my thought. Had he come in March instead of February, I I think there's a chance he'd be in the class already. Yeah, because I, I think that was that little period where like you yeah. knew it was going to be Coach Easton, but he hadn't been officially hired type of situation. There, there's things yeah. he could and couldn't do. You're right. right, exactly. Yeah, and, and it's a very solid point because again, Sullivan. I, I mean, after that, he was like, I, I'm pretty sure his quote was like, "Man, that was friggin' awesome," you know, and mm-hmm. he was just like so pumped after that visit. So mm-hmm. I, I think if Notre Dame, if he's a, if he is a legitimate take at Notre Dame and the staff likes him that much. I, I think that they have a very good opportunity to to grab Sullivan Absher because I think that the the love for the Notre Dame is very mutual on his part. So yeah. I, I think they're in a really good spot if they choose if they want him. Yeah. I would probably say he, of all the guys on the board, he's probably the one at this particular moment, February 21st, that I feel most confident ends up in Notre Dame. It's him and Jagasaw are the two 
for me that I feel most confident in. I feel Mm -hmm. good about where Notre Dame is Monroe Freeling, but I'm never going to feel super, super comfortable about a kid from South Carolina that Clemson wants. Yeah. Until he picks Notre Dame. I mean, you know, but between him and Samson, I feel better about Monroe Freeling, I would say, between those two. Samson's the one that we said this last week. If if he picked a school today, it wouldn't be Notre Dame. I I feel with Monroe, I feel like it could be Notre Dame. I'm not saying it would be, but I feel like it could. I think Notre Dame's got as good of a shot as anybody. Yep. I think with Jagasaw, with Absher, I think they would pick Notre Dame if they had to pick today. Mm -hmm. Basantis and Okunlola, I don't think either one of those would pick Notre Dame today. Agree. That would be my thoughts. There's a couple mm-hmm. other guys on the board, and I'm going to talk about them together. One has an offer, one does not, but he's a guy that the staff has gone down and seen, and they got their eye on. And that is Austin Saraveld from Ohio. Yeah. What are your thoughts on him? Because we have a question about him uh, in the chat. There's somebody, uh, Brandon asks, uh, he actually gives a super chat, so we'll pull a super chat. He goes, what's your opinion mm-hmm. of Saraveld? Kid's a monster and really likes Notre Dame I've read. Does he project uh, more to guard, or does he have the athleticism for tackle? And then he says, just wondering if he stands as high on Saraveld, is he a take for Indy and are we pushing for him? Let me just quickly address that first part. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he's I, – I, I think he's – from what my – I think he's a take right now, but they're not pushing for him right now. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. A take yeah. is if the kid called and wanted to commit, you'd say, sure. But a kid you're pushing for is the kid that you're trying to actively pers- – you know, kind of not coerce. That's was going to be a horrible word, but like you're having conversations about, Hey man, we, we'd like for you to come in, in the class now. Right. We sure. really want you to commit. So uh, that's, that's the difference, but I believe he's a take right now, Ryan, mm-hmm. Can, but to his, to his question, you know, Brand, or Brandon says, you know, he thinks he's a monster. Does he project more to guard? I think he's hundred percent an interior player. Cause I don't see, yeah. I'm not super high on Austin Saraveld to be complete. I think he's big and physical. Uh, yeah. And if he wanted to come to Notre Dame, I'd be okay with that. But I, I, there's just some other guys I like a little bit better than him, but he's a good football player. He's massive. Yeah. He's, he's a true inside guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think that like, if you're trying to compare him slightly, like I think the same thought process can go to Chase Basantis to a degree. Although I think Chase Basantis has better foot quickness, you know, just a little functionally. So I think that Chase Basantis in certain situations could be a right tackle, depending on what his, you know, what his college decision was. But I think that Austin Saraveld is a true interior offensive mm-hmm. lineman. Like this guy is, you need to keep him in tighter quarters because what he does best to Brandon's point, incredibly physical young man. Mm-hmm. Like there's no doubt he gets after it and he has great, not only functional strength, but also he has just this endless motor. Like you'll right. see some of his clips work into the echo of the whistle, and you yeah. love that part of his game. But that being said, I just I don't see the functional foot quickness to be a full time tackle at the next level. I think pure guard interior, and then he's a little bit of a like I don't know if he's a center even right because like right. he's got a little bit of length to him, so he's a little bit of a funky guy at center. Like right. I think he's a true guard. I at think the next so level. too. And I think that part you talked about, the, the 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 demeanor, the power, and the motor are the things that I think make him a take for Notre Dame. You want guys like that in your room. That's the kind of guy that Michigan has a lot of on their line last year. Michigan has wow. guys on their offensive line, in my opinion, that don't touch Notre Dame, some of Notre Dame's players from a top-level talent standpoint. But you know what Michigan had this year on the offensive line? Those kids played with some nastiness. Yes, they did. Right? We saw mm-hmm. against Georgia that they just don't have the talent. 
<laughs> to you know to really compete like the physical the athleticism like there's no Quentin yeah. Nelsons there's no Ronnie Stanley's there's no Zach Martin's on that group there's no Blake Fishers and Joe Alts and Jared Patterson's in my opinion but what mm-hmm. they had that Notre Dame didn't is they were really well coached and they played with a nastiness and there's two ways that you fix that as a coach one is you've got to work on build changing your culture which Sean and I talked about on Saturday number two you recruit dudes that already have that yeah, you know, and then that you know that's the, and that's what to me. That's why even though I don't, there's things about Austin Sarvelt I don't love on film. Mm-hmm. That right there is why I almost feel like if he wants to come, you have to take him because he is an attitude definer. Like he's going to come in and say, "Hey, man, you may be you may be longer than me, be more athletic than me, but if you want to keep that job or you want to start over me, you better outwork me." Sure, and that raises the bar of the guys around him. And I, I think guys like that, you have to have. And there's another kid that's like that, too, that doesn't have an offer. And the reason I don't think he has an offer is because I think he would commit if they offered him. And that's Trevor Lauk from Indiana. I actually like Trevor Lauk a little bit more than Austin Saraveld because I think he's a little bit more athletic. And I know Notre Dame has been down to see him, but to me, they're kind of the same guy. He's a big he's a kid tackle. Too. Yeah, yeah, big, strong kid. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, just like a, I mean, when, when we say big, it's not that he's 295. It's a, he's 295. Massive. I mean, he's a yeah. big boy. <laughs> Austin Cerebell's a big boy. And they're both tackles. I think Cerebell, yeah, Cerebell's a tackle in high school. Trevor Lauk's mm-hmm. definitely a tackle in high school. Pure mm-hmm. interior guy at Notre Dame. But yeah. that's another kid that I really like as far as like, could he be that fourth or fifth guy in the class? Depth bring piece, some yeah. toughness and some attitude. I think that's why of those two guys, I wouldn't mind seeing one of them in the class, you know, is, as now it, if I don't want them, if it means you can't also bring in Sullivan Absher as your fourth guy. Right. But if you're willing to go to five, if, if you're, if you can get there, meaning you take one of those two kids, you take mm-hmm. Jagasaw, you take Absher, and then, you know, hope you get one of Okanlola or Freeling, but you're still in position to you take both of them if they both want to come. Cause you want both of them. So that's that's kind of my stance on that. But I like both of those kids. One had Saraveld as an offer, Lauk doesn't. But yeah. that's a kid that if 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 Saraveld and some of these other guys haven't committed by June and Notre Dame has their lineman camp and Trevor Lauk comes to the lineman camp, I could see that An quickly impressive. changing that him not having yeah. an offer. Sure. I think that could quickly change. Yeah. So uh those are some some other guys to keep in mind that have that size, Ryan, that we talk about. Like they're they're gonna easily be three hundred plus pounds with ease. Mm-hmm. And they're big, strong, physical motor kids. So it's again, it's one of those deals where if you want to start at Notre Dame and you're talented, that's fine. But you can't just be talented because there's some 315 pound dudes behind you that maybe don't have play. your God given ability, but they're going to outwork you every single day. And Harry Heastan has shown in the past, he's not always going to start the most talented guy, yeah. right? He's going to start the guy that works. Worker, that's why John yeah. Montalus never started at Notre Dame. You know, that's why there's some other guys we can list. It's like, why did that guy ever start? That's because that guy didn't work, right? Yeah. And I think you need some guys like that, Ryan. So uh, those are just a couple names also for people to keep in mind. Anything else you want to add, Ryan, before we go to questions? No, no, I think we we covered it. Obviously, that's a a lot of players. Like like we said, it's it's a condensed board for offensive Mm -hmm. linemen because, I mean, Coach, he stands very particular, which he he should be. And there's there's no problem with that. And there's – I mean, again, if they're able to pull off what we think that they potentially could pull off on this offensive tackle board, this is uh, or offensive line board, I should just say mm-hmm. in general. Although they all play offensive tackle, mm-hmm. uh, but it's uh, 
it's looking like it could be a special group. Right. So, exciting. And there are some there are some questions that we'll get to about that, but I did want to get to the super chat from Zach Martin. He goes, "Who are some of the second tier prospects that are not takes right now, but Notre Dame really likes if they miss on their top tier prospects of that position?" I think Trevor Lauk is one. I think yeah. is a guy that I would mention. I don't. I Zach, the reason I'm 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 going to say this is just because I do think the one aspect of it being the coaching change and still being fresh is I still think there's a lot of evaluating happening right now to find those second tier guys. So that's why I'd say is I don't know if I have really any names for you. I think we're seeing right now names being removed first, then we'll see some names added. And so what I mean by that is like Harris Sewell's not a guy that Notre Dame's really going to be looking for anymore, right? He was a guy that yeah. the previous coach was looking at. He's more of a pure guard, right? And I don't think Coach E stands recruiting as many of those, right? So if we're going to go for a pure guard, you know, if looking at it from their standpoint, we're going to look at a Saraveld, you know, more, an Ohio kid that's got some more size and a little bit more athleticism to them. Uh, then I think you'll see over those second tier guys are guys that are going to kind of evaluate over the next couple months, try to bring in for camp, depending on where the numbers are from a commitment stand at that point. Right. So like if they got three kids committed to them by June, then you're going to see the kids they are going to bring into camp are going to be 24 and 25 kids. If they still, if they only have like one commitment, then you're going to see them push to get a Trevor Lauk on campus. And some of these other kids that identify as the tier two guys on campus. So coach Eastan can see him work out. So I would say that's very, Ryan, you can tell me if you, if there's some names you want to discuss, but to me, that's from what I've been told, that's kind of where Notre Dame is right now when it comes to the second tier of the board, they've established who their guys are. Yeah. Then they're going to remove some dudes that had offers and say, Hey, look, you know, like I said about Harris Sewell and uh, TJ Shanahan's not a guy that I see them pursuing moving forward. There's some guys like that on the board that aren't, they're just not, Kobe Keenum, I don't think is a guy that they're really pushing hard for right now. Uh, I could be wrong on that one, but that's kind of my my read of it. They're going to add some of those guys moving forward. So remove some, focus on yep. the top guys, then add two over the coming months. Because right now, Notre, as we said, with Saraville, with with Absher, with Jagasaw and Freeling, I mean, again, I think the focus is more on just focus on closing out those dudes first, and then you don't have to worry about expanding your board. And that's always been Harry Heastan's approach. I mean, it's just like he gets his top six, seven guys, and he's like, I just need four of them. And he's always got them. I mean, that's the thing about it. Almost always gets them. So, um, that, that Ryan, do you any, have anything else to add dot, kind of to that, to that aspect of it? Now my, my mind floated to like a couple different positions, you know, that might, they might have a couple guys that might fit that belt billing, but for the offensive line, I mean, we just said like it's a condensed board, right? Like there's no expansion to it right now. So I would say all the guys that have offers that are on the board, in my opinion, are takes right now. So I wouldn't say that any of them are second options, quote unquote, because right. I don't think we're to the point having no committed players at the offensive line for Notre Dame right. that we have the, I don't even want to say luxury, but like there's just no right. there's no process for having second options right now. Right. Because the turnover, the staff, he stand who he stand likes on that. Because that's where you start to see, and this kind of goes down to the recruiting rankings debate. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to watch Samson Okanlola and Monroe Freeling and Charles Jagas all say that guy's pretty good. Right. It's the tier two guys that separate the great evaluators from just everybody else. Right. And so that's where you start to see your personal preference start to come into play a little bit more for the tier two guys, which takes time for coach Eastan and the staff to evaluate those guys. First of all, decide who's going to come off the board. 
and to your point, it's not just that Notre Dame doesn't have anybody committed, but the top t- targets haven't committed anywhere yet. And the only top target that Notre Dame had that's committed anywhere is Alex Birchmeyer, and that was months ago. And so none of them committed yet. So it's not like there's two things that can can force you to go to your next level. You you know, you, and, and one is you have had some losses on your roster that open up extra spots you think you're going to have. And there's not enough of your top guys on the board to go there. And then two is some of your top targets commit elsewhere. Notre Dame has not reached either one of those points right now because there's 16 guys in this, on the roster right now, I believe 16, and all but one of them has eligibility beyond this year, and that would be Josh Luck. Now, everyone expects Jarrett Patterson to leave after this year, but he has eligibility remaining past this year. So the, right now there's 16. They're going to lose two most likely. There might be some other guys that they don't bring back, but the numbers are good where Notre Dame doesn't need five. If they get to five, it's because they get – I mean, it's – they can't, they're getting guys that they can't say no to. And so I don't, again, the timing wise, I don't think they need to be, but thank you for the super chat on that, Zach. I appreciate that very, very much. Here's the question that I wanted to ask that, that kind of got uh, that, that two questions I think were good. One is from Nate W. It says, is the 2023 offensive line recruiting board more talented than the average here? I have an opinion on that, Ryan. Do you have a, a, an opinion on that one? More talented than the average year. Um, while you let that marinate, I'm going to yeah. say no. Uh-huh. I think if you look at recent years, Notre Dame's had a lot of big time players on the board. I think it's more, I think it's better than the 2022 class was at the top. I don't think 2022 was a great year offensive line wise for like top guys. I think there was a few top guys. Some of the top guys in this class, I think, are overrated, but it's not a great year from top guys. I think like 2021 was a better year. 2020 had more top guys. I think what's happening now is Notre Dame has a better chance at some of those top level guys where they were getting removed pretty early from some of the top guys in the past, or they just weren't in the ball game. Now with Harry Heastan being back, the success Notre Dame has had in recent seasons, I think part of it is just some of these bigger names Notre Dame's just in it more with. It's also has to do with where they're from. If Charles Jagasaw was from central Florida, we're not sitting there talking about how, oh, yeah, we think he's pretty much going to go Notre Dame. I mean, that's geography matters when it comes to the earlier, a lot of times the earlier commits. Uh, it matters more than it tends to do for down-the-road kids. And so I think that's a factor too. But I think it's just that Notre Dame is in on these guys. But I don't think overall this is necessarily a noticeably better quarterback class in most years like I think quarterback is. I think this quarterback class is noticeably better than some of the more recent classes. I wouldn't say that about the offensive line. I think Notre Dame's just in a better place with those guys, right? You th- agree, yeah. disagree, anything to add? No, I, I was trying to – I was. it was hard, you know, kind of quantifying for a second because my I was just – my immediate thought was, no, I, I wouldn't yeah. say that. It's just it, – I think it's a good offensive line class. I don't think it's – I mean, it's it's solid in my opinion. I, I think that there's definitely other positions when we're talking about like wide receiver seems very strong this year in my opinion. Quarterback, like you said, seems very strong. I think – corner seems pretty strong to a degree better. like there's other positions yeah. that i think are maybe better than what the 2022 class was but i think 2023 is is a good is a good class on par relative to what it traditionally is i, I wouldn't say that it's a more strong class than it has been over the last couple of years agree agree um i i like your c- corner observation this has a chance to be a really really good corner class it's very it's a, good. Yeah. I mean, there's like several like legitimate five star guys or mm-hmm. in in the corner. I mean, AJ, 
can never remember the kid's name. There's a kid from Florida that's got a ton of talent. Oh, yeah, a, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. a little bit like, you know, he's got – is he always giving you everything he's got? I don't know. But sometimes you just wonder, is that just because he's so good? He just hasn't been challenged, you know, but it's a really good corner class. It's a much better safety class than we've seen in recent years. That's another one. This is a really good safety class. I mean, there's a couple legitimately legitimate dudes at safety, and I don't yeah. think I could say that in recent years. Uh, it, oh, it has, any. Anytime, um, anytime, um, Peyton Bowen is ranked between fifty and hundred by most my, most platforms. Right. That kind of puts some indication of like, yeah. wow, yeah. <laughs> there's some it's dudes a good in this safety class. class. Yeah. yeah, there's some dudes in this class. Timeout, Tom. Are and you you address this a little bit, Ryan, but but I I want to bring it up again because there may be some people that miss this because you can answer yeah. this one very easily. Are yes. high school kid recruits aware of Harry Heastan's reputation? They, they are aware of who, who Coach Ethan is because you can readily find information, right? Like you can Google his name and you can see Quentin Nelson and Ronnie Stanley and all, all the great players, Alex Bars and Zach Martin and, and, and um, I'm sorry, Nick Martin and all the guys that he has worked with. Like that is easy to find. But the problem is, again, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. When I talk to like a Samson Okalola, for instance, you know, I've asked him about, you know, Harry Stan. He says, like, I don't really know too much about Coach Heastan because we have to think again. When he was at his peak at Notre Dame, when he was building offensive line U, these kids were, what, 11, 12 years old at the time? So they, they know who he is, but they're not really as in-depth on what his reputation is, if that makes sense. Oh, Mike again. I, I think Samson Okalola is a bit of an outlier, though. I think that has more to do with he just doesn't seem to really be engaged in the process a whole lot. Like he doesn't strike me as a kid that just sits there and watches college football every Saturday. You know, from from talking to other people like Monroe Freeling, Charles Jagasaw, Sullivan Absher, Austin Saravel, like some I'm I'm, I'm talking to you know, people that know this. they have a much better idea of what Harry Heastan has accomplished than Samson does. And and some kids just I mean there look up this this may shock some people. There's a lot, there's a decent number of kids that play football that that love to play football, they don't follow football. Especially college football. So they, many they're so more NFL many. fans. Yeah. They just like I mean, they don't sit there on Saturdays and just watch college football. They will do that more once they get into recruiting because they just want to see the teams that they're looking at play. But like they don't they don't just like watch college football all the time. They'll have NFL teams. Who's your favorite NFL team? Oh, it's so-and-so. Who's your favorite college team? Uh, you know, never really had one. But that's why they know – that's why most of these guys know who Harry Heastan is. It's not so much of what he did at Notre Dame per se, but it's – but look at all the first-round draft picks the guy has produced. So that's where I would say that uh, most kids know about his reputation in that regard. I think where Samson just to me – and again, Ryan, you've talked to him. I'm – I'm just kind of going off of a couple interviews I've seen, some conversations that you and I have had. He just seems to be more like that kid that just doesn't really – I mean, could he name 10 offensive line coaches in the country before he started the recruiting process? I doubt it. I doubt he can name any. That's you fair know point. what I mean? And I that's think that's kind of – that would be my my yeah. take on that. All right, here's an interesting one. I, uh, Brandon Plesner says, I feel like Harry Heastan watched the O-line play this past year and felt so disgusted that he had to do something, which meant – Come back and coach this talented group because he couldn't stand watching this any longer. I, I kind of have a take here, Brian. Like, please, I mean, please, I, I, I feel, I mean, 
I don't know if it's quite to that extent, but like, I have to think that, that, and this is from the positive outlook for a second, right? Like I have to think that coach, he watched them play and said, I could make something of that. Yes. Like I could yes. work with that. Right. Looking at Blake Fisher and Joe Alt, like I can right. work with that. Right. Andrew Christophic, I know him. I can work with that. Jared Patterson, all American player. Imagine what I could do with mm-hmm. that. Right. I have to think that that is an internal driver for yeah. Coach Eastman. And I, I he kind of has like a perfectionist outlook to me, right? It's like yeah. I could do stuff with that. Right. I can make that work. And he loves Notre Dame. So I have right. to think there's got to be something inside him that's saying, like, I can make that work better. I think that is much closer to way closer to his view than that guy sucks. He's ruining the line and I'm disgusted. I think it was more of right. to, to your point. I think it was more of a, but I'm telling you, if, if Brian Kelly doesn't leave, it's not happening. It's not happening. I'm just telling you all right. It's not happening. So I think once, I think all the stars aligned to your point, I don't think Harry, he wanted to walk into a reclamation project, not at his age. And and that's definitely not what he's walking into. I think you're absolutely right, Ryan. I think it was more of a there's some there's some things I can there's some kids I could I could I could make that kid a star. I can make that kid a star. I boy, we could have some really we could have some fun with that kid, you know. Uh and I think when he looks at Blake Fisher, he thinks I, I truly believe, and this is based on some conversations I've had, I think he looks at Blake Fisher and gets the same kind of excitement he had when he landed Quentin Nelson like sure if that kid comes here and is willing to put in the work I could make mm-hmm. that kid something really special For you sure. know and and that's what's that's what's that absolutely Ryan you absolutely nailed that that is much closer to than the whole I just want to barf I mean that's how we felt <laughs> watching the offensive line but I don't think Harry Heastan looked at it that way and and you know I think you have it a, a lot closer Terry Washburn says, been watching a lot of 90s era games, and they could almost every play get at least three to four yards carry, and that was between the tackles. Sure would like to get back to that. I think a lot of people would. I see you, RN, with Irish Luck. Are you higher on the potential recruits we are getting this year over Billy from last year's recruit? Any of them have Blake potential? Um, Ryan, you want to you want to start on that? I have a very strong opinion on this, but if you want to go ahead and take that one first. <clears throat> Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's an imperfect comparison because I think Billy Shrouth projects really well inside, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I mean, guard definitely. I think, you know, you talked about it. You're like, you think that he could probably last a tackle in a pinch if he He could play right to. tackle in the certain offenses, yes. Right, yes. sure. Right. So, in a, in, yeah. right, right tackle in a pinch, but obviously good potential inside a guard. Very good Ryan, potential. It's like Zach Martin in the NFL. Could Zach, Zach Martin play right tackle pitch? Yeah, he's done so. Do yes. you want Zach Martin playing right tackle for 16 games? No, that right. that's how I feel about Billy Shrouth. Yeah, I mean, so Billy Shrouth for me, like you, he, I think he could be a really good guard. I even think that he could play center if he want, like if yeah. they needed him, to, like if they wanted him to, I should say, not needed him yeah. to. So I, I think there's an upside as a very good interior player. But I think when you're comparing him to a couple players that are on this board, right? Like we're talking about the upside of a Samson Okalola or a Monroe Freeling at offensive tackle, which is just a more important position than guard. We've talked about that a little bit at guard. You have two people around you and you have some leeway for, you know, f- f- I don't want to say failure, but like there's, there's a mark bigger, there's a help. larger, smart, help. larger margin for error inside a guard than right. I'm off the tackle. So naturally I am going to say 
that I think that a couple of these tackles that are in the 2023 um, recruits that they're that Notre Dame is targeting have a higher upside because they are true offensive tackles and I think could play that position at a higher level comparative to Billy Shroud potentially playing inside a guard at a high level. And then the second part of that question, do any of them have Blake Fisher's potential? <sighs> as, a, as a junior, I'd say yes. Okay. Again, that's the thing we have to look at is we know what Blake Fisher looked like as a finished high school product. Right. We have not seen Sansom go from what he was to what he will be. And mm-hmm. I, I just feel like it's, it's, if you just go back and look at where Blake was as a junior, I would say Samson Oklahoma is absolutely on Blake Fisher's level as a top 50 caliber prospect. Blake okay. got a lot better and got an even better shape as a senior. He was a significantly better prospect. So that's where you always got to be careful when you're making those comparisons because mm-hmm. it's like um, there was somebody on the message board and I get where he was coming from, but he's like, you know, Hey, I, I like Chris Vizina more than what I've seen from Tyler Buckner. I followed up with, what we saw from Tyler Buckner in high school or as a freshman, he's like, no, as a freshman at Notre Dame. I'm like, well, that's, that's a completely unfair comparison to compare him as a freshman in college to what another guy's as a junior in high school. And then you compare what Tyler Buckner did as a junior in high school to what Chris Fazina did in a junior high school. And it's incredible. I mean, Tyler Buckner rushed for almost as many yards as Chris Fazina passed for last year. (laughs) Tyler Buckner rushed for more touchdowns than Chris Fazina passed for this is not a knock on Chris Vizina all. It's just a, how yeah. absurd Tyler Buckner's production was. You know, you're talking about a kid that had over 6,000 yards of offense in one season Crazy. and 81 touchdowns, right? So you can't compare a junior in college to a freshman in high, a junior in high school to a freshman in college because the junior in high school is going to be the far superior talent where the freshman is going to usually be like at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, for the most part. And and so that's why you, you have to try – if you're going to compare a guy – you try, you try as best you can, in my opinion, compare them where they were at the same stage. And at the same stage, I do believe that Samson Okalola is on that level. And Monroe Freeling is a different type of prospect, but he's not far behind, in my opinion. Now, will they make the jump as seniors that Blake did? That's a different question because Blake made a big jump completely reshaped his body, like just got more athletic, his technique improved. He put in a lot of work. Came to Notre Dame's lineman camp, worked his tail off at that. Had you know won the won the offensive MVP thing, which I mean he was going to win that whether he didn't play well or not because they they were in the process of trying to close on him, but he earned it. I mean he would have he he won it anyway, you know. But uh, I don't know if I, if they're quite there to the first part of the question. I think if if you're you're I'm not going to reiterate what you said, Ryan. It made a ton of sense. You're talking about value. I will say this: if I'm doing a ranking of just who's the top, who's the best player, like just the ranking of oh, if I'm doing a top 100 of linemen from the last two years, I would rank at, as juniors. I would rank both. Uh, I would rank both Samson Oklahoma and Monroe Freeling ahead of Billy Shrouth as a junior. Charles Jagasaw will be slightly behind because he's so raw fundamentally. Charles Jagasaw is a really – we didn't talk a ton about it. He's a really raw football player sure. because he missed his sophomore year because of COVID you know, rules and stuff in Illinois. He couldn't play really at all as a sophomore, so he missed that year of development. And and But his upside is extremely high. But I'd say as juniors, it would be Samson, Monroe, Billy, then Charles. And those three would be ahead of anybody else from last year's class. Joey Tanone would be next for me. He'd be five. That'd be my top five of that group. Joey Tanone is next for me. I, I really like Joey Tanone, man. Yeah, I think he's too. really underrated. I really like yeah. Joey. He's from Indiana and he committed way early. 
Yeah. So there was just no reason to have the hype. And and that's why, you know, kudos to to on three. They had some really bizarre rankings, but they they stayed with having Joey Tanone as a highly ranked player. Because mm-hmm. he is. I mean, he's a good football player. They he had is. him higher than I think he should have been. He's more of a top 125 to 150 guy for me, mm-hmm. but he's pretty good. Yeah. You know, he's a pretty good player. I like Joey Tanone a lot. I mean, that's the thing of the whole class last year. All of them are good players. For sure. They're, they're all good football players. I think what last year's class lacked was there was no Liam Eikenberg as a high school prospect, who I had as a borderline five-star. There was no Quentin Nelson. There was no, you know, he, well, wow, that guy's an elite player, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of really good players. It's like a right. class filled with Robert Hainsey's. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know my stance on Robert Hainsey. You, you give me From five Robert Hainsey's, I'm going to have a really good offensive line. Absolutely. But if you yeah. give me three Robert Hainsey's and a Quentin Nelson and a Blake Fisher, I'm going to have the best offensive line in the country. That's sure. the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. I, I, I feel like the 2022 class, like there's a lot of potential, but it's yeah. not a lot of finish, right? Like right. I, I'm excited to see how he stand with gaps and ceilings. Yep. Yeah. With an Ashton Craig. Cause like that could be a good football player down yeah. the line. Cause to develop, maybe he's the center of the future. Maybe mm-hmm. he's a guy, you know, like it's possible. So yeah. I'm excited to see him work with the 2022 class. Cause yeah. again, if Emil Wagner is able to hold that weight, working with the whole area yeah. he stand, wow. I mean, he is Robert. I mean, he is Robert Hainsey's body. I mean, that was the that was the challenge with Robert was could Robert get to 290 and stay? And, you know, he never got more than 295 at Notre Dame. Yeah. And I would say that Emil has more athleticism than, and length than Robert had. For sure. You know, coming out. He's just not as polished as Robert was because mm-hmm. you know, he spent two years at IMG and went to every camp imaginable. <laughs> you know, to get better in battle. I mean, that was one of the most competitive dudes I've ever seen in high school. I mean, if there was a, like, I feel like if they just, if they called Robert, say, hey, by the way, we're having a lineman camp tomorrow at so-and-so, do you want to come compete? He'd be like, who's going to be there? And if he started rallying off a bunch of highly ranked guys, he's like, okay, I'm buying my plane ticket right now. I want to compete. I mean, that's just how Robert was. Yeah. You want, Harry, he said, loves guys like that. Uh, but as far as just God-given ability, I mean, no one's ever said like, oh man, Robert Haynes, he's just a, I mean, if I could if I could create a lineman in a lab, he'd be physically just like Robert Hainsey. I'd never say that. It's I want his intelligence, I want his work ethic, I want his attitude, but I'd rather have someone a little bigger, a little longer, a little more athletic. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, that's that's to me, that's like last year's class had a lot. We'll never be stars, we'll never get the credit that a Liam Eikenberg got or an Aaron Banks got. He's just just a bunch of guys that have a chance to go like that's Joey Tonona. That's probably the best comp I can make for Joey Tonona. And mm-hmm. as I look back, I'm like, you know, thinking about the comps. I mean, I think, I think Robert, Robert Hainsey, as far as like, jo- the, I like the comp I made for Joey Tonona because it was more about his, his game, mm-hmm. his body type and things like that. But if I were to, if I were to make a comp for him, you tell me if you agree with this, mm-hmm. if I can make a comp for Joey Tonona from the standpoint of, you know, who, who he, who, what kind of career he had, could have at Notre Dame. Because I use Josh Myers as my comp because, you know, similar body type, makes you know, sense. position yeah. to fit. But if I was going to go with what type of career going to have at Notre Dame, you know, start a long time, you know, it'd be Robert Hainsey, where he's never going to be the sexy guy. He's never going to get the All-American accolades. Like I'm sitting there watching like Aaron Banks get named an All-American in 20, after 2020. And I'm like, he wasn't ha- he wasn't close to being as good of a player as Robert Hainsey was. Sure. He just comes with a big reputation in the NFL draft and all that other kind of stuff, right? And so he's getting named an All-American. And I'm like, Robert Hainsey, the only lineman Notre Dame had better than Robert Hainsey in 2020 was Liam Eikenberg. Right. And it, it, there was a distance between him and whoever was else, you know, Patterson and and Banks, but All-American lists aren't always about that. He, he wasn't sure. sexy. 
And that's Joey Tonona to me, right, Ryan? I mean, I mean, is that a fair – when we talk yeah. about what type of career could have in Notre Dame, is that a fair – would it shock yeah. you if Joey Tonona somehow is – oh, wow, Joey Tonona is rotating in at guard for Notre Dame with Josh Long. I mean, would that shock you? Nah, man, not at all. He, he's – I mean, that's why I kind of – brought him out of, you know, just out of the blue <laughs> in this conversation. Cause like, I just think that he's just so underrated. He reminds me of like, and this is not a, this is not a, even a comp to, uh, to a, the playing style, but like Ryan Jensen that plays with the Buccaneers right now, everybody talks about Tristan Wirfs at right tackle because the mm-hmm. kid is a freak show. And uh, the, the left guard, uh, 74, his name's escaping me, but he's a really good football player too. Like those are kind of the dudes on the Bucks offensive line. And no one talks and about Ali Ryan Marpet. Jensen. Ali Marpet. Yeah, Ali Marpet. Yeah, Marpet. You know nope. the D3 guy, Ryan. Come on, man. I'm sorry, man. Hobart. <laughs> I, I know. I can't. I, I remember the college, but I didn't remember the guy's name. It's so bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everybody talks about Ali Marpet and everybody talks about Tristan Wirfs because Wirfs mm-hmm. is a freak show and Marpet's a uh, Pro Bowler every single mm-hmm. year, right? But Ryan Jensen is a damn good football player right there at center. And I feel like that's kind of the same with Joey Tony. He just kind of gets overshadowed, even though he's just very solid. And and who did the Bucs draft to potentially replace Ryan Jensen? Uh, Your boy, man, Robert (laughs) Robert Hainsey. Hainsey. (laughs) (laughs) Full circle. There's something to be said for a guy that just shows up and does his job every day. I mean, you have to have guys like that in the offensive line. If you're going to, if my choice is an elite talent that's going to make, you know, just eight boneheaded plays a game compared to a guy who's just going to do his job at a steady level the whole game. I mean, most offensive line coaches are going to take this, the steady guy. Assuming they don't – they okay, like I'm saying they're not going to change. You're going to take the athletic guy, the talented guy, with the thought you can coach that out of them. But going into a big game, you're going to take the steady guy is, is kind of where I'm coming from on that yep. one. So, yeah, sure. good, good discussion there. Very good discussion there. I enjoyed that. All right, timeout, Thompson. In reference to what Brian said before, is there any recent talk about the present offensive lineman's willingness to take Harry Heastan's coaching style? Uh, Tom, I, I've brought that up before just as a sort of like a, this is something that is, is true whenever you hire a new coach. I have not heard a thing about this guy may not like Harry, this guy may not fit with Harry. I haven't heard any of that stuff. We are simply – I'm simply making the point. Not we. I'm not going to put this on Ryan. I'm making the point that – until they get on the field, that's always going to be a concern is how certain things mesh together. You never really know that. And you never know how you're going to take a guy's coaching until you've been coached by him at the end of the day. So uh, it's important, but it's not something that I'm necessarily concerned about with any particular players from the standpoint of, gee, I don't think that guy is going to take the Harry He stands coaching. And I want to make sure that I, I take that, make that clear because some people have, have lost that a little bit. Michael Parks says with Harry Heastan coaching Tosh Baker for the foreseeable future, how close can he get to Mike McGlinchey? You want to go ahead and touch that one uh, to Ryan? Yeah. Um, how much close can we get to Mike McGlinchey? Um, so my, I mean, in the perfect world, in my opinion, is that Tosh Baker takes a huge step forward this year, right? Because it, oh, Joe Walt and Blake Fisher are going to be the bookends at tackle unless somebody forces a hand. Right. And I, I mean, I honestly, I don't, I don't even know if Tosh Baker even takes a massive step that if Blake Fisher moving inside is a, is an honest thing that could happen. Like, I don't know if that's a reasonable thing to have expectation, but what I do think is, is if you have a guy like a Tosh Baker with his raw athleticism and his length that take a massive step forward, 
maybe there's a way that when we can get him on the field and get Blake Fisher to potentially even move inside the guard. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's no knock against Blake at all, because I think Blake could be a It's about a getting the best five guy. on the field. That's all it has right. ever been about is yes. if it's Alt, Baker, and let's if, if Alt, Baker, and Fisher are your three best offensive linemen, your best lineup does not involve Alt or Fisher or Baker inside because they're not guards. I mean, this is the point. It's 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 people act like moving a kid to guards a punishment. I mean, moving Zach Martin to guard made him hundreds of millions of dollars and all pro, and yeah, he's right. going to be a Hall of Famer. He's not that right. as a tackle. Moving Quentin Nelson to guard made him a, a Hall of Famer. As we said, Quentin Nelson would have been a good, solid ten-year pro as a tackle. He's not Quentin Nelson. We're not talking about him like we talk about him now. Moving to guards, not punishment. And that's something – and we had a, a, another – Tom Tom asked, you know, is, there's people say Blake Fisher's not going to move to guard. First of all, I highly doubt Blake Fisher has said to anyone that I'm not playing guard. And if he did say that to someone in the media, they should probably keep that to themselves because that's an 18-, 19-year-old kid just speaking, right? It would take one sit-down conversation with Quentin Nelson and my, and and, uh, and Harry Heastan to convince Blake that this is, this is what's going to be best for the team and this is why you're going to play there. And, and, you know, and he would accept it, in my opinion. And if he doesn't want to accept it, then you move on. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you got to do what's best for the team, right? And and if you don't want to do it, if you're all your folks on what you want to do, then, I mean, you move on from it. And what I mean move on is either you do what's best for the team and he decides to leave or you move on from the potential of moving. It's whatever you decide as a staff. I don't really care. I'm not saying move on from Blake Fisher per se. You just, okay, fine. We're going to do it anyway. And if you don't like it, you can leave or fine. We're going to figure something else out. One of those two things, but it's just, but I, I, you know, again, I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time thinking Blake Fisher is going to look at Harry. He and Marcus Freeman and say, no, I'm not doing it. I'm staying at tackle, right? I just, I have a hard time with that. A really hard time with that, but who, who knows kids these days, you know, who, who, who knows I'm saying sarcastically, Brandon Plesner, Monroe Freeling, Charles Jagas, Samson, Okanlola, Austin Saraveld, Sa- Sullivan, Absher, and Chase Basantis are the guys the staff should be focusing on. Get a four to five man combo out of that group. And we're set. So I'm putting this up because he said this before we started talking about names. So props to Brandon for for pretty much nailing the board uh, at that point in time. But yeah, I think if you get four to five guys of that combo, I think you're set. I will say, however, you're going to want to get at least one or two from that first three for this really to be a special class. Because if you get if you get like Basantis, Absher, Saraveld, and then Jagasol, that's a really good line class. But it's more like last year's line class Interior than like guys. Yeah. the you know yeah. the 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 2014 unit that had bars and and Quinton and you know what I mean like the, mm-hmm. you know or or, or it's just that's kind of would be my my there's not the star power that that you've had from other years in my opinion and Brandon says I would put a, a class of those guys against anyone in the country I think the 2023 class has a great chance to be uh, better than last cycle again with the O line specifically. Yeah, I would say that assuming they get two of the first three. You got to get two of Freeling, Jagasaw, and Samson for you for me to be able to say, I'll stack this up against anybody. Because if they get one of them and then the other three out of the other group, that's still one of the five best line classes in the country. But there's a difference between five and one, right, Ryan? I mean, that's 
that's the thing. So do you agree or disagree with that? No, no, I agree. I agree because again, if you if you're going to the to the tail end of that list and you're taking, like you said, Cereveld and and uh Basantis and and uh, too, not, I don't want to say too many of that group, but if you're taking the majority from that group and not from the first two, three names that we talked about, then we're loading up with more guards, right? right. And we, we already saw Billy Shrouth, Joey Tanona, like those guys are going to have to play together. There's going to have to be some type of fit without true outside guys. Then we're right. just working with a bunch of guards all the way through the right. lineup, which is going to, it's going to really limit the possibilities that you can have up front. Right. And it limits the star power that you're going to have from your line as well. And then I think, to really, really have a special line. I mean, it's not a surprise that Notre Dame's two best offensive lines of the last 20 years had multiple first-round picks in it. Well, at least one of them did. The 2015 line did. The 20 – well, no, they both did because in 2017 they had McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson were both first-round picks, and then obviously Robert Hainsey was a third-round pick. And, and Alex so Bars both, would have been both picked top, if he doesn't. Both top 10 picks. Right. Top 10 well, and, say, picks, and, yeah. and the 2015 line had three top 10 picks in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. With, when you add Ronnie Stanley to that as well, so uh, you know, you need at some point in time you need at least one star, in my opinion. You go two years where your where your star is what Billy Shrouth. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily right. like, and that, I'm saying like I love Billy, yeah, but you'd you'd like to get an, a Samson, a Freeling as well to go with Billy, and that's kind of the point that I'm getting to. Uh, Juan says, do you think Notre Dame's deal with the ACC helps them recruit the Mid-Atlantic and DMV area? Absolutely. That opens doors that, that, or at least it gets kids a little bit more receptive than they otherwise would have been. I think the next thing that's going to help them is they got to put, they got to make it more of an area of importance. Why is Texas so much more, why are they having more success so far in Texas than they have in past years, Ryan? It's because they're making it a priority. They've all, they've offered almost 30 kids from Texas already in this cycle. They've got a commitment from the state of Texas already. And I think they've got a chance to get a second one in this class. They could have had a second commitment from Texas if they were willing to take his commitment. That would be Jackson Arnold, but they weren't willing to do that at the time. So you got to prioritize it. And I don't think Notre Dame has done enough to take advantage of the ACC deal with past staffs. And it looks like this staff is changing that when you look at the emphasis on on the DMV in this class, when you look at the emphasis on the Carolinas, the Carolinas. in the yeah. last two classes, I think that's important. I think the Carolinas is the one untapped area that Notre mm-hmm. Dame hasn't taken enough of an advantage of. And when they have gone down there, they've got some really good players. The Aquaras, right? Acetic Wana was a really good recruit before the injuries. You know, you, Jalen Sneed in this class. So I'd like to see them tap into the, the D.C., Maryland down to South Carolina, I'd like to see them make that a much bigger priority in, in moving forward than they have. I think, I think there's some really good football players. In there. And I've had people criticize them for not taking Iguanu's brother. He wasn't that kind of prospect in high school. Some yeah. guys just develop different. I mean, this thing people got to understand is, oh, well, I've heard people say, why did all the schools miss on Josh Allen? Because Josh Allen wasn't Josh Allen coming out of high school. He was so a I went zero, to a junior college. He was a zero star kid, right? You know, and it wasn't about. from lack of recognition. He just, he just. Some people just they're they just they just. I mean, you know the whole story about Michael Jordan getting cut from his high school basketball team. Michael Jordan wasn't a six foot six guy dunking from a free throw line when he got cut from his high school basketball team, right? I mean, no coach is that stupid, right? I mean, you know what I mean. I don't think. Anyway, he grew and you know all those kind of things. So, uh, but to the point is. 
I want to see more kids from that from that region. I love this one. Garen Nutson. I taught my wife to say the following at least once daily. Hope we get Dante Moore, QB out of Michigan. He's a gap closer. She's a keeper. Yes, she is. That's yes, awesome. she is. If she actually is willing to do that, she is 100% a keeper, and you have outkicked your coverage, my friend. I'm just going to be completely <laughs> honest with you about that. Timeout Tom says, I really like Sullivan Absher. He's got great feet and speed. It's a bit to get the second level is excellent. That's something you talked about, Ryan, is a 6'7 yeah. guy that can, can bend and play mm-hmm. inside and get to the second level like that is – yeah. Is an impressive thing. No, no question. Uh timeout Tom. Rocco Spindler's luster seems to have dulled. Is it because of performance or that his name's been around for a while? He's a freshman. Uh, is it true that Rocco was too aggressive and Quinn tried to coach it out of him? I have not heard directly that last part. I know that rumor's been floating around. I've never heard that. The reason I think it's believable to some people, whether it's true or not is because that sounds like something that this coaching staff would have said in recent years. <laughs> like, yeah, too aggressive. You know what I mean? Uh, if that was true here, he stands going to love Rocco Spindler because he likes those aggressive guys. But his luster hasn't dulled. He didn't play as a freshman like 99.9% of freshman offensive linemen last year. So I I wouldn't worry too much about that. I mean, he's he's been a name that's been around for a while. He's Currently in his like, what third semester of college, he's like going into sophomore redshirt freshman year. Uh, I think the problem is kind of like with Tyler Buckner. People are already ready to kind of dismiss Tyler Buckner for the next guy in high school. Uh, I think that's more of an us problem than a player problem, in my opinion. Uh, it's just the nature of it sometimes, I think. Uh, Michael says, Freeling is an athlete. Basketball players that are OTs have great feet, hand-eye coordination that I feel translates to the football field. Agree completely. Agree yeah, completely. Agree. Uh, I remember uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Ogden was a uh, surfer, I think, and he had, you know, just kind of yeah. weird stuff that like that. That is something that requires an obscene amount of core. Have you ever Balance. tried to surf? I have I not. Tried it no, once. I just, no. I went no, out there no. for three hours. My whole chest was just cut up because he kept, the guy kept putting more and more wax on the board because he's like, kept that, like, that was a problem. I was like, dude, that's not the problem, okay? You're killing me. I'm gonna have any, I'm gonna have skin left on my chest. I just don't oh, have the man. balance to do that. I don't know what it was. A, a six foot yeah. nine guy surfing, just imagine. Yeah. I, I've got some buddies that love to share a story. Loose emoji used to share a story about how Notre Dame almost got him. He was almost about to commit to Notre Dame and ended up deciding to go to UCLA. But could you imagine? Could you imagine that? That'd have been fun. Oh my god! Yeah. Keegan McLaughlin at guard love guys that have a destroy the guy across from you and kick linebackers butts. I want soul takers a guard uh, and to move the center of the line. I soul taker. I like that's the demeanor that Ryan was talking about earlier. That's the, when we talk about disposition, it's not a guy's a sloucher. He's a guard. That's not what we're talking about. It's, it's what Keegan just said, you know, you want, and that's like, when we talk about the no Moss game against USC in 17, that's exactly what we're talking about. Like, Quentin Nelson and Alex Bars took the soul out of the USC players, right? I mean, they just, they wanted it no more. I don't, I don't, I don't want this. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I have to share a funny skit with you later that just kind of popped in my head. It's probably not appropriate for the show. Okay. Orange glove guy. It's a key and peel skit. Uh, just gotcha. out of curiosity, besides sitting him down, what could he stand have done with Kane Madden? I think Kane Madden would have been a much better player for Harry Heastan. He still would have been very limited athletically, but Mm -hmm. Harry Heastan would have had him playing with toughness. He would have had him playing with much better footwork, hand placement. Kane Madden was a a kid that wasn't overly athletic at all, and he was really short. And I don't mean short just in height, but short in length. 
a kid like that has to be really sound fundamentally. And the one thing I did like about his film at Marshall Ryan was he mm-hmm. was fundamentally sound. Right. The problem yeah. is he coached at Notre Dame. He was coached at Notre Dame by someone who didn't know how to coach offensive line technique at the level needed for a kid that lacks the God-given ability to be successful. Yeah. And that was his now, problem. No, I agree with that. When you have when you have an absence of length and athleticism like Madden had, there's a smaller there's a smaller margin for error. Like it's just a natural thing. So when you have a guy like him um, that is maybe not as technically refined, at least as he was this past year, that's when mistakes get made and there's no ability to recover. Mm-hmm. The great thing with got some guys like Samson Okalola, if he has a bad set and he gives up like an inside move, he still has a chance to recover right. because he has that length and he has that foot quickness. For a guy like Kane, it technically we even saw that with Josh Lug the last couple last year. There were times when Josh just was slow out of a set, but he was a pretty you know he's not super super long, but he's six seven. He's got some. He's more wide than he is long. Was that you mean, Ryan? Like I think his width is going to yeah. probably be better than his actual arm length is going to be. Sure, because I don't yeah. think Josh has super long arms. No. Um, but he's got you know broader shoulders and things like that. But he can he can. Blake Fisher was this way in the limited time he saw him. He could you could beat Blake Fisher off the off the line, but he's just so long and athletic that he's still gonna be able to get hands on to you. Where a kid like who's six one and a half with short arms is just if you beat him, he's done. Yeah, he's toast. Can't recover. Yeah. yeah, and he just didn't move his feet, and like that was something all the linemen struggle with for the most part. It's gonna hurt some more than others, and Caden Madden is one of those guys, for sure. Irish 0687 for a long athletic tackle type line. What are the biggest challenges that can be thrown at them from the other side any given Sunday? I think it's guys that are that are smaller that are really good at getting underneath your pads. Oh yeah, leverage. I think yeah. that's really mm-hmm. it. Like if Aaron Donald guy type guys are are going to have more success because he's also athletic, but he's just going to win. He's it's hard to beat him from a leverage standpoint. Yeah. So. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. It, it's it's when you're a longer guy, naturally sometimes your you know just butt pops up a little bit, right? Your level raises, and that's where you see like some of those guys that get bull rushed into the pocket a little bit, right? Like that's where that that center of gravity is against them a little bit. It's a little tougher for them to bend and get their butt low and to get it in that proper power position. And that's where people talk about anchor a lot. Can they anchor against these pass rushers when you have high pads? It's harder for you to anchor and to sit down on power. Last couple. What what we have eight returning offensive linemen that had starts at some point in the season and eight more with talent and some upside. I'm expecting 10 offensive linemen ready to play against Ohio State. Uh, that'd be nice. I think eight is where I, you know, give me a two centers, three tackles, and three guards. That's where I mean, as long as you have that ready to play, I think you're you're gonna be good to go. Uh, the world famous Scotty Nitro. How much of is O-line recruiting affecting the decision of Dante Moore? It'll be a part of the decision, just like receivers and scheme. And it'll play a role. It'll play a role. And I, and I think to the point, Ryan, I would say that the more big-time linemen you have committed, the better it's going to be. And it doesn't hurt that you signed one of the best offensive line classes in the country a year ago. I don't think that is going to hurt Dante Moore either. No, no. And it's obviously the tradition that falls behind it. And, and Dante Moore knows who Kerry Heastand is too, sure. right? He knows that he's coming back as well. Oh, yeah. Offensive linemen tend to get into classes a little sooner and wide receivers tend to get in a little later, right? So getting a couple mm-hmm. of those guys in will only amplify the Dante Moore effect. Yep. Michael says, how many 2023 O-line should Notre Dame take? Also considering potential transfers out of Notre Dame. Thanks. Regarding potential transfers, those still may, might happen, but that won't come until after the spring. 
there may be some kids who kind of see that, hey, the writing is on the wall, but that won't happen until after the spring. I think three is the minimum. You have to get at least three. I think four is the sweet spot for me. You go to five if you've already got Freeling, you've already got Jagasaw, you've got, let's say, Sullivan Absher, and you've got either Cerebelt or Absher, or, I mean, um, Basantis or, you know, Lauk, something like that, and you're still going to keep recruiting Samson Ogallola. Sure. And if he decides he wants to come late, you still take him. That's or or if you got Samson and Monroe decides late, you know one of those top three guys you decide late uh, that they're going to come, you take five. But I think four is a sweet spot, Ryan. Do you agree? Disagree with that thought? No, I was going to say four to five is is the number for me, right? Like again, I think that you can stress it, stretch it to five if the right five are there. But I think four, like you you need for me, you need three guys that are you know, could potentially play tackle at the next level that have may have some ability to move inside. And then you could take a gamble more on a guy or not a gamble. You could take a guy that is maybe projected more as an interior player comparative to an offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. All right. Let, here's a, a few more. Here we go. Uh, Michael Campbell says class of 2022 with Zach Rice be at Notre Dame and not North Carolina. If Harry Heastan is here, I'm going to say yes. If Harry Heastan wanted him, I don't know if Harry Heastan necessarily would have, coveted Zach Rice the way that that some fans did because he was ranked so high I didn't love Zach Rice's feet at all I thought he's a big strong yeah. kid that I think is going to have so he's a guard to me at the next level uh now would 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 he stand have taken him yeah I think if he would have wanted him I think he would have got him I do but mm-hmm. I you know I, I don't think Zach Rice was this look I'm not sitting there on signing day saying man I wish I would have got Zach Rice there's a couple guys I feel that about especially Jake Taylor, who went to Oklahoma, I'd have loved to have had that kid. But mm-hmm. I did not at any point in time say, man, I gee, I, if only they would have got Zach Rice. The only value that Zach Rice would have added beyond the guys they already had is the ranking. Perception. It would have been a perception as opposed yeah. to are you adding a valuable player? I, I just – he uh, if he would have signed and let's just say been the sixth lineman, I would have graded him six out of six in regards to footwork. That That's where I would have would have had Zach Rice. Big, he strong, was like, physical kid that just didn't yeah. – that just got away with beating up, you know, inferior guys. Well, he was he was one of the first guys we ever talked about, Brian. Mm-hmm. And this was even before I was a part of the recruiting mm-hmm. team, obviously. And he, I, the first thing I said to you was you like – You reached out to me on with your yeah, opinion on him, yeah. I know. I, I was like, kid can't really move very well. <laughs> like, that's just flat out – I mean, like, I, I didn't see an athlete. I saw a kid that, again, he he's pretty dominant in, in close spaces, but like – projecting mm-hmm. as offensive tackle. I just thought, I just didn't see the foot quickness that you wanted mm-hmm. at that spot. Right. And the hips were just a little tight to me, in my yeah. opinion. They just, they just were. All right. Great. Let me get to a last couple. Here we go. We got a few more that I think are good questions. Mm-hmm. Christopher Sally, when evaluating offensive line recruits, does level of competition have more or less impact compared to evaluating other positions? I just say this, and, and I'll let you answer this, Ryan, about mm-hmm. level of competition. Level of competition has an impact on the evaluator, not the recruit, in my opinion. I think the only way it impacts the recruit is I think guys that play against better competition tend to be able to make the transition to college a little bit easier. It's not as big of a of a transition. We have seen some guys that have been played terrible competition come to college and be great players immediately. And we've mm-hmm. seen guys like Javon McKinley that took four years to get to the, to, to the level of play, despite the fact he played against phenomenal high school competition. I think what tends to happen is you as an evaluator can make more mistakes based on the level of competition. If you're more focused on the result 
compared to the skill set. And I think mm-hmm. that's more of what it that's what makes it challenging as a as a what we do to look at a kid that plays against weaker competition or from an NFL draft standpoint, right? To look at an FCS player and evaluate him is you've got to be able to determine, does that play translate? You know, Hey, that was a great run, but does that translate if he tries to do that in the sec or the ACC, but it, right. a four five is a four five, right? This is the thing that people miss. Mm-hmm. If you're six, six, 300, you're six, six, 300, no matter who you play. If you sure. run a four five, that four five is a conditional on who you're playing against. Right. Mm -hmm. You either have the tools or you don't. I think what can be difficult is your ability as an evaluator to to determine the actual skill set of a player compared to another. I think that's what I care more about than, oh, well, this guy played at a small school. So he's this, that or the other. I don't care about that. That says more about your evaluating abilities than it does that player's talent. Well, uh, so I'm going to take it from an NFL draft perspective for a second, okay? When, whenever you see the main the ma- main bulk of who gets selected in the draft is going to be Power 5 football players. And that's natural because Power 5 football players are generally the most talented. Like, that's just kind of how it works. But when you are an evaluator in a vacuum, you evaluate traits. It does not matter what level they come from because you're evaluating them to go to a system. And no matter what that, no matter you know what what system that you're evaluating them for, you are evaluating that player. Those these are the traits that I need to be successful in that in that in that spot. So whether they are from a group one here in New Jersey or they the highest level in Florida, if they have the traits to translate, they have the traits mm-hmm. to translate. That's just point blank period to it because they're going to get the same coaching wherever they're going. So you're mm-hmm. always going to clamor and you evaluate traits. You don't evaluate level of competition. Mm-hmm. Correct. And I think mistakes that people will make is like, this guy was dominant. Okay. Yeah. Well, most guys that, you know, at the division one level could go to division three and do what Ali Marpet did from a production standpoint. But sure. That's not why he didn't get drafted because he dominated E3. He got drafted because he's got the body type, the athleticism, the skill set, all the mind, and all that kind of stuff for the game. And I think that's. Well, That's we, they call at. they call it helmet scouting, right? Like it, right. That, that that creates biases when you right. just kind of have assumptions. Just right. clean slate. What did the traits say? And that's what I think. That's why I think a lot of the recruiting services tend to miss on offensive linemen. I mean, there's a lot of well, how'd you that guy never even played at that school? How did you miss on that guy? Because they they were like, oh, this guy's dominant. I, I had this discussion with a, a friend of mine in the recruiting business about two three years ago. There was a kid from from Mountain, I think it was Washington or California, kid to sign up with with in a Washington. He's like, man, this kid's a really good player. And, and what makes you think so? And he's like, you just watch me dominate. So I said, okay, do me a favor. Pop in his film tonight, and I want you to, to basically do this, like put your hand over your head and only watch him from the waist down. And he's like, oh, my God. Like, he did that. And he's like, oh, my God, that guy is terrible. Because, like, he was watching the result, which was just dominating high school kids. But what then he when he went and watched, he's like, he was, you know, he was lunging a lot. He didn't move his feet a lot. He had slow feet. You know, his hips were tight, which doesn't hurt you when you're going against 220 pound defensive linemen in high school. You start going against Pac-12, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, and <laughs> you're going to be terrible. And I think that, but but if you just watch his film and you look at the result, then you're like, well, yeah, guy dominated. Yeah, because he's six seven, three hundred five pounds. Of course, he dominated in high school. Right. You know what I mean? But you know, it's like. You got there was a kid as I was recruiting this kid. I was this I was recruiting this receiver from Columbus Grove, Ohio, when I was my my last coaching gig. 
I really like this kid. So I went and saw him play multiple high school games. I ended up losing him to a D school, D two school who gave him a scholarship last minute because they knew they were going to lose him to me. And uh, there was this offensive lineman for the other. I think it's Ayersville. No, it wasn't Ayersville. Oh gosh, it was some team with an A. I forget who it was. But I'm watching this kid in warmups, right? And I'm like, man, this kid. I've never heard of this kid. Like nobody's honest. He's like six six, two ninety five. Like man, this kid looks like a million bucks. By five snaps in the game, I was like, this kid. I wouldn't recruit this kid to Division three school. Couldn't get out of a stance. You know what I mean? But when he got hands on a dude, he 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 had some really impressive blocks that game. But like he couldn't start it for me at a Division three school because he couldn't get out of a stance. He just he had terrible feet, and terrible hips. You know. But he if you just took the highlight tape from that game. And you didn't actually watch him play. You'd be like, man, this kid, this kid should be playing football somewhere, yeah. you know. And that's what you, you, that's what you have to look at. That that, ha- that happened to me last year. Um, someone asked me to take a look at this offensive tackle, and I'm not going to name drop because it would be very mean. But he was he was at a very small Division three school, and he was the same deal, man. Like he was, but he was like a legit six eight and an eighth, three hundred and ten pounds, like a mammoth kid. I, uh, I I messaged the school to get his, you know, to get their huddle login or whatever. He let me take a look at the film. This kid was awful. Mm. Like one of the worst <laughs> evaluations I've ever done. He ended up getting like a, a free agent contract to go into a camp, and he lasted like literally one day. And I'm like, man, he yeah. it was just awful. <laughs> I just yeah. could not believe my yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was uh, – it actually, wasn't, it wasn't a team with an A. It was actually Paulding. I just went and looked at their schedule and it was it was Paulding. So it wasn't it it wasn't a team with an A. I'm, I was thinking Ayersville, but that was a different game. But yeah, it was Paulding. But man, I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm gonna find I'm I'm like I'm excited. I'm like, I'm gonna get the steal of the year. I found the six six two hundred and ninety-five pound offensive lineman, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, that guy can't move at all. <laughs> uh, so it made me so sad. Uh t- Tommy Guns, Leonidas is Spartan kick. Brian, you you're definitely the GOAT. T. So yes. there's like 30 chats about my goatee. You guys respond to my facial hair decisions more than I've ever would have imagined. Uh, I, I was going to shave it all off, but I'm like, there's going to be heads exploding in the chat today if I shaved it all off. But this is my <laughs> wife loves a goatee. And so like, you know, it's kind of her birthday week, you know, birthday month, you know, we celebrate different things and do different things. So I decided to give her a goatee. So it's kind of husband I am, but I, I hate goatees. So, but she likes it. And hey, Ryan, you've learned this. You're not, you haven't been married that long, but if she ain't happy, you ain't happy. Right. So that's, that's um, why I don't grow the, that's why I don't grow the beard out, man. It's clean shaven stays. That's what your wife likes, right? Like I'd much exactly. rather not shave every day. So, yep. Keep her happy. Vince's receding hairline. This is hilarious. Come on, Jacob. That's so messed up. You got, <laughs> you guys told me, to let you know, but I sent a super chat that didn't get answered on Friday about Mickey and Morrison. And if they'll see significant playing time, especially with the guys we have, I don't know if either of them will see significant playing time as freshmen, barring injury. I think both will have a chance to earn playing time as freshmen. Yes, I, I, I definitely think they'll both be given opportunities. They have to earn them, right? I mean, they have to win. I think if I were to if I were to put money down, who I think if you know who do I say has a better chance of playing as a freshman, I'd probably say Jaden Mickey because he's so much more polished. And he's so competitive, whereas Benjamin Morrison, I think, has big-time talent. But I think he might need maybe a little bit more time to play. But, I mean, just physically, like talent-wise, I won't be shocked if either of them plays freshman. I'm just not sure if I would say significant playing time. Because think about this. To beat out, to be a, to play significant playing time, 
You're either going to have to beat out Cam Hart, which isn't happening, mm-hmm. or a two-year starter in Clarence Lewis, or basically a three-year starter in Tariq Bracey. I mean, right. that's that's where you're at. That's going to be tough. So to be to get significant playing time, to get playing time, you just have to be in the two deep. To get significant playing time, that's what you got to do, and that's not going to be as easy as people think, right? And the coaching staff isn't going to overreact to the Oklahoma State game. I think it's definitely on their minds. It's like, can we beat USC and Clemson and Ohio State with this group? So that's why those guys are going to chance. But they they got it. They got to prove it. Here's an interesting question, Ryan. Brian mm-hmm. Pete from T- Peter Takesian does a smash mouth running game with a five star quarterback and highly recruited running back score 30 points against the best defenses in college. Depends if that five-star QB has legitimate weapons to throw to, but yes, I think you can, yes, you can be a smash mouth team and do it. That's what Georgia was this year. I I need, I I mean, they have the five-star quarterback, but yeah, Yeah, I think, I I think I just need a little more context of the question, like what else is around it, but yeah, I mean, in theory, would you not describe that as Georgia? I mean, besides for the five-star quarterback. quarterback. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. would you? I would call Georgia a smash mouth football team. Ah, oh, you're right. You're not wrong. And they scored 30 points a game, and they have they also they also had one of the best defenses though. They're not, you know, their offense is on sure. the field a lot. So, but just, their offense I also, I believe, was one of the top 10 or 15 teams in the country in yards per play. Sure. Which you know is a you know because like you could say like I, I, there yards can be deceiving. I've I've used this example before from my career. Is there was a year where we scored 40 points a game during the regular season, but we only average about 350 yards of offense per game, which you don't see those two. That's because our average starting field position was the 48 yard line. <laughs> we just didn't run a lot of plays because we got such great field position because our defense was so good. And then we would then go score. But you look at Georgia last year, 38.6 points per game. That's pretty good. But as you said, the defense could have been a lot of the culprit for that. So that's why the first thing that I go look at is yards per play. And Georgia last year ranked fourth in the country last year at seven six point nine eight, basically seven point zero yards per play. So they were a very efficient offense last year. Now they were not an elite offense. They were not, uh, but they were a very efficient offense, capable of big plays because a lot of because of the second part of that question, and a lot of running backs that could rip off big plays in the past. James Cook in the past game, Samir White, Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton, James Cook also in the run game. And then, of course, that set up the big tight end, Brock Bowers, who had a lot of big plays. So can a smash-mouth running game with a five-star quarterback and high recruiter running back score 30 points against the best defenses of college? Yes, they can, assuming, to Ryan's point, you you know a little bit more. They've got to have some pa- – if they got a bunch of bums as pass catchers. They're, no, they're not going to score 30 points on Bama, right? You've got to have some level of balance. But in theory, yes, I think you can do that. And last one here, Keith from Keith Wiegand, of the group of these offensive linemen, who do you guys think is the sleeper? That's let's take it twofold. Let's look at the current yeah. roster and then let's look at high school kids. So if current roster, yeah. let's do that first. Which is the easy one for you? Was it the high school one for you? High school. Easy? Let's high go school. high school first then. Let's do yeah. the easy one first for you. Sal so, Vabsher is the guy that I just yeah. keep talking about, right? Like he's ranked. I mean, I, I think there's a couple recruiting pro, uh, platforms that I have him ranked as like a top 300 kid. I think he's much better than that, to be honest with you. Like he's – 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, 275 pounds, plays with great pad level, explosive. I think that I think the tools are all there for a guy like a Sullivan Absher to be a starting player mm-hmm. on the college level. So that would be my easy guy as far as that. Those well, for as, context, Ryan, Rivals yeah. has him as, as a four-star, but not in the two, two top 250. Right. 247 hasn't even taken the time to give him a ranking yet. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know, yep. uh, 
the only one that I have him that has him ranked very high is on three has him at 167, which I think probably gets in your wheelhouse. That's but fair. talk about like, um, you know, a sleeper, right? Because a sleeper doesn't mean underranked. It means a guy that's just not, he's being slept on. And when two of the four, because I don't think ESPN has him ranked yet either. Nope, they don't. When two of the four ranking services don't even have a ranking for the kid, he's a sleeper. I don't care what the other ones have him ranked. And so I think, Ryan, I think that's a good one. That's a, I, 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 can't, I can't disagree with you on that one. When we look at the current team, I have a couple that I'm going to go with and because and let you kind of rack your brain a little bit. The couple that I would go with, I think of the of the returning starters, I think I think that uh, Andrew Kristoffik is mine. I think that he's he's a guy that has a chance to make a bigger jump than others, and I think his steadiness down the stretch was was underappreciated a little bit. Now with good coaching, I'm really curious to see what he can do. That's that's you know another year under the Matt Bayless strength program. Another you know getting coached by Harry Heastand, getting pushed by guys like Rocco Spindler. Because, hey, if you're Andrew Kristoffic, you, you can't have a bad spring. You can't have a bad fall camp because you're going to find yourself, you know, with the same view that you and I have from the game, which is like from the sidelines, or the bleachers. or I mean, you're not on the field, right? Uh, so he's a guy that I think is going to is going to is someone that's going to get slept on amongst the guys kind of behind him. A, a guy that I, I think could be a sleeper. If he moves positions, oh, don't do it. You're about to take my guy. You're about to take my guy. Go, go. Well, I was at first after I looked at the list that just the lineman, I was, I was going to say Christophic, but then I was going to say Michael Carmody because I I think that Michael Carmody has got kind of a bad rap because he had some struggles at offensive tackle. No business playing left tackle, Ryan. None. None. I, I do. I do think that there were still some nice flashes in the yeah. run game, though. I think that there's still some things to be excited about because I think he is a physical kid that has a lot of grit to him, man. Like, I think that there is mm-hmm. something there potentially moving inside the guard. And I feel like there's just been kind of this just negativity around him just because he did struggle to tackle a little bit. I mean, and he mm-hmm. did. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. But I do think that he could play a little bit if he's mm-hmm. in the right situation. Right. I think that that – to your point, it's not so much that Michael lacks the athleticism to play tackle. He has zero temperament for tackle. That's what got him in trouble, in my opinion, is, is he wants to come off and maul you. And you can't do it because every time Michael Carmody got beat and on a tackle, it was one of two things. It was either he was too aggressive getting to his pass set or he lunged, which is a technical problem. But he would get beat around the edge because he's kind of stepping to, to hit you as opposed to like, look, there has to be a natural passivity to being a great left left tackle meaning your first step is away almost like it's 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 back it's i gotta go meet him to a point and you're gonna give a little bit of ground not too much i think notre dame gave too much ground sometimes it's like they were trying to teach vertical pass sets but don't know how to teach vertical pass sets like that's what it looked like to me ryan uh but yes you put michael carmody inside and i think he's a completely different player completely different player because now all of a sudden he, he becomes athletic in my opinion like he looked on athletic at tackle i don't think he is on athletic at tackle i think he has no like you have to completely deprogram his personality to have him play tackle and i don't it's that and that was my thing with quinn nelson it's like you know like it just that's just not who he is demeanor wise but i think michael carmody if michael carmody is a starting guard for notre dame in the next couple of years and he ends up being a really good player and gets drafted I would not be surprised at all by that. And but that's the problem that Notre Dame has. They have a lot of guards 
and a lot of center types on this roster. They don't have a lot of tackles. You know, I mean, you know, after, you know, after Blake Fisher, a true freshman went down, they had to turn to Tosh Baker and Michael Carmody. That was it. That's all you had. And, you know, Joe Alt. I mean, you know, so that, that speaks to some development and recruiting misses that you had uh, as a football team. And, and a little bit's bad luck, you know, Quinn Carroll getting hurt was bad luck. I mean, you know, that kind of sapped his career, but it's your inability to develop Andrew Kristoffic as a tackle, you know, and you're missing on certain guys in previous years. That to me was a bit of a, a bit of a problem. And then your unwilling, your utter unwillingness to play young guys in 2020 was just drove me nuts. That Tosh Baker got seven snaps in a year where there was no red shirt. I mean, everybody everybody was a red shirt technically. It was a complete against a schedule that had more teams on it with losing records than winning records. That was a complete miss, complete miss by Kelly and the offensive line coach. So um, that's going to be it for today's show, Ryan. Uh, that was a lot. Of, what, what, what was we here? I, I think we missed Charlie's. Okay, I did miss that one. Yep. Says the best thing to happen in their name was Coach Kelly leaving. Coach Freeman is the breath of fresh air. Irish fans have been begging for top recruits to Notre Dame. Yeah. 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 There you go, I mean, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you got it. That's, you <laughs> That's got awesome. it, Alex. You nailed it, man. <laughs> you nailed it. I mean, look, Marcus Freeman has to show he can coach. For right. Sure. But I but I I think the thing I like about what's going on right now is there's there's just excitement around the program we haven't seen in a while. And not even just, hey, we can win a title now, but just I like the head coach. I mean, <laughs> it's like I know a lot of people that rooted for Brian Kelly only because he was the head coach of Notre Dame, but they just didn't like him. He's not a very likable person. He just he just isn't. Marcus Freeman's likable. There's a lot of people that are like, I don't know if this guy can coach or not, but I hope he does because he's likable. And I'm going to have an article coming out maybe today, maybe tomorrow. I'm not sure when we get to it, but you know, just little things like just a simple thing of like the picture he took and tweeted out yesterday of him and Coach Holtz, where he's that looked like Lou Holtz's office, like or you know what I mean, workroom. That didn't look like Lou Holtz was visiting Notre Dame. That looked like Marcus Freeman was somewhere seeing Lou Holtz. Am I am I wrong? Like, did not? And that what that looked like to you? Yeah. That's so, um, you know, maybe that was Marcus Freeman's house. I don't think it was. Uh, but the, the, the state of the union thing he did that eventually got taken down where he's pleading with the alums to come back. Why is he doing that? Because the previous coach made it a very unwelcoming environment to alums, the people that established the tradition that made Notre Dame an attractive place for Brian Kelly in the first place, because for Brian Kelly it was always about Brian Kelly. Marcus Freeman seems to embrace what makes Notre Dame different. And there's a lot of Notre Dame fans that, are embracing that now he's got to go prove he can win, but he's going to make recruiting fun and he's going to make it fun to be a Notre Dame fan from the standpoint of your head coach appreciates what you love about this institution, where the previous guy used those things as a, this is part of the reason we're not winning. And I think that's why a lot of people feel this way. We can all, yeah, Brian Kelly won a lot. Yeah. Great. But he was a jerk. Or he was this, or he deep down he didn't really like Notre Dame. I mean, the guy flirted with uh, with other jobs almost every other year. I, I mean, there's a lot of that that has a lot of built up anger, and Marcus Freeman seems to be kind of the opposite of that, and I think that has people excited. But hey, a, a one in three start, <laughs> and all those good vibes are gone. So at the end of the day, you still got to go win. 
you still got to go out and go win. And that's kind of really where, uh, where, where Notre Dame is. So those good vibes will be gone in a hot second. There's a lot of people that just argued me, Tyler Buckney started as a freshman, he started as a freshman. And, and then now I'm saying like, ah, oh, he sucks. We need Dante more. Just, that's all some fans are. Right. I mean, just can't please everybody. Right. So don't try Just be yourself and do what you enjoy to do. And, and that's what it is at the end of the day. So Ryan, that's my thoughts. Any thoughts from you? I know you're, you know, I mean, you're, we don't hide the fact that we're Notre Dame fans. I mean, we're yep. still going to be objective, but we don't hide the fact we're Notre Dame fans. Any final thoughts on, uh, and I'm going to scroll through just to make sure I didn't miss any other super chats. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I agree. It's a breath of fresh air. I could not agree more with um, Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. It's, it's, I mean, honestly, man, like it's, the excitement is there, but like you yeah. said, and like we talked about a little bit with the recruiting stuff on the side as well. Now it needs to be formed into action here, mm-hmm. right? Like it needs to be translated onto the field. So could not, could not agree more with that comment though. For the first time in a long time, I am just, genuinely not like obviously I'm always excited as a fan, but I'm also just very curious about what the next step Mm -hmm. is, you know, like for a long time, it felt like we're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again to a degree, you know, it just kind of felt monotonous at times right now. There's like a little bit of like an unknown, like a mystery to it, you know, which I think is really exciting, but also eventually you have to know what that unknown is. It has to be knowing at some point. Well, and I think the fact that he's destroying, this is why I think a lot of people gave Charlie Weiss the benefit of the doubt early. Because Charlie embraced Notre Dame as well. And, you know, when we started winning, you know, look, if if Charlie Weiss doesn't win early and didn't embrace Notre Dame, I don't think he makes it to five years. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just like Ty. But, you know, Marcus is, is embracing it, and he's just destroying so many myths that just drove Notre Dame fans nuts. It's like just miraculously there's all these great students that help <laughs> on defense that can be a part of the, you know, it's BS. And so like recruiting was just such a frustrating thing for Notre Dame fans for a long time. I mean, Ryan, you see it in these chats. Like there's just always, if Notre Dame's not just the clear leader for the kid, there's a lot of fans like, ah, they're not going to get him. Pessimistic. Yeah. With mm-hmm. top kids. Cause sure. and understandably. So it's like, it's kind of like, you know, you get hit in the, you, you get disappointed. You get turned down so many times you can stop asking, right? Like, you know, if you sure. keep asking a girl to, on a date and every single day, and she's always says, no, no, no. Eventually you just stop asking unless you are just the most persistent, you know, what in the world, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then, then you miss your window, but Marcus Freeman is out there just battling and, and starting to get the success. I mean, he, and then it's like, well, once the kids are looking, well, they're going to, they're not going to stick in their commitment. I mean, I get it. I get that. Not, you don't want to completely buy in because you don't want to get crushed come signing day when three or four top guys aren't in the class. I, I get all that, but I think that's also plays in the excitement too. And then I did miss one thing I want to address. Ryan yeah. Brandstetter says, I'm a college student. Don't always have time to keep up with everything. And that was before the question of this, which he says, this is older news, but what's your, what's your guys thoughts on the on three prediction of Dante to Notre Dame? Look, We don't really spend a lot of time uh, responding to crystal balls and on three predictions and future casts uh, just because that business model doesn't reflect what we're trying to do. But I do want to speak to this because um, I want to say a couple things. Number one is I think Tom Reese has done a tremendous job with quarterback recruiting to the point where we're discussing whether or not you should or should not take a commitment from Chris Vizina, who's a top hundred consensus, top hundred quarterback, right? Not that he's going to commit, but that's just kind of the, the discussion point. But uh, regarding Dante Moore, Ryan, that is, that is a take. I think other people are coming around to where we've been for a while with Dante Moore and, you know, we have kind of been on the, I think Notre Dame's in a really good place for a while. 
I felt the Notre Dame was going to be a player for him when I first met him last April face-to-face and watched him work out and talk to him. And I feel that Tommy Reese has done a tremendous job building that relationship with him. Marcus Freeman is just now kind of really getting into it with him. That combination could be lethal. But if I had to predict right now, if of all the schools recruiting him, if you were to ask me today, if, if he picked a school today, who would it be? I'd confidently say Notre Dame. But that's not new for us. We've been saying that for a while. That doesn't guarantee he's going to come to Notre Dame because Notre Dame may not be patient enough to see that one through. Or his he may change. His, somebody may come along and say, you know what, I went on this visit to so-and-so and it blew me away. That's the recruiting world, folks. But as of today, I mean, I think I'm probably about four or five months into saying I think Notre Dame's got a lot better chance with Dante more than people think. And I think everybody's starting to come, come around a little bit to that notion. Yeah. And no, the no, notion you... that Michigan was never the team to beat that people made him out to be. That was never true. Ever. Yeah. There's one guy that promoted that lie, and he lies about everything because he just he would he just is an attention whore. Uh that's probably gonna get us demonetized because I said that word, but it's just true. That was never true. He liked Michigan just like he liked other schools, but Michigan was never the team to beat for Dante Moore. I think Notre Dame's been either the team or in the top group for quite some time for Dante Moore. And you know, doesn't mean they got to close, right, Ryan? I mean, it's yep. you know, coffee's for closers, but I would I, I let me ask you this. Is there any other team that you would say I'd rather be where they are with Dante Moore than where Notre Dame is. No, absolutely not. I mean, and it stayed the same. And it's just one of those things where, you know, you hear one thing, you see one thing, but like when things just start stacking, right. And then Mm -hmm. you see the player he is, the person he is, the student he is, how he goes about his business. It's all just kind of aligning a little bit. Again, that is, that is no guarantee that it will end up Irish, but Right. 4.0 student. Just, yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything. Now the question for me is more about will Notre Dame have the patience to see it through or not. Right. That's a different conversation, but if they do, I feel good about where they stand. So that's it. And Ryan, I know you're, you're happy. Today's been a good day for you. You get to do a recruiting podcast and Mm -hmm. the Rams signed an offensive coordinator that I know you're excited about. So, (laughs) and for me, I called you today. I was like, Hey man, double fun. He's like, Oh, I love the new I said, yeah. And that means that Tommy Reese isn't going to the Rams. So that's (laughs) double (laughs) true. True. Very true. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that, that's it. So, Hey Ryan, thanks for, this was a lot of fun, man. Appreciate you doing this with me. Love talking offensive line play no you know question about that and then just um, being able to talk about offensive line recruiting is a lot of fun hit the like button everybody hit the subscribe button hit the notification bell share this podcast check out irishbreakdown.com sign up for the message boards there's too many people in this chat that i know are on there and you're just missing a lot of great conversation including ryan you've got to go in and answer that question about the best your fate your all-time notre dame team of your favorite players not the best but your yeah. favorite players that's a fun conversation. That. I was really bored at like two o'clock in the morning last night. I was like, man, it's been on my mind all day. Let me throw this out. Cause everyone's like, who's the best and, and all this. So we're having that conversation. That's been a lot of fun. If you like built bars, if you, if you're someone who eats protein bars and you have not had a built bar, you are missing out. You got to try built bar and to make it more enticing. Okay. If you use the promo code below the Irish breakdown promo code below, you get 10% off your entire purchase. 
you got to check them out. And also the merch store. We've got some new designs here over the last couple months in the merch store. You're going to want to check those out. If you haven't signed up to irishbreakdown.com yet, if you sign up for a monthly membership, you get $4.99 a month. You get 10% off your first entire, your next entire purchase through the merch store. Uh, if you sign up for an annual membership, which is only $49.99, you get 20% off a purchase of the merch store. So we've had some people that have actually made big purchases and use that 20% off and it almost cost a year's membership. But I love the sense of community we build through things like that. So don't miss out on that. So Ryan, thank you for being with me today. Uh, we're going to have plenty more to talk about this week. We're going to have a couple more recruiting shows this week. So it's not just, you're not going to say bye to Brian, Ryan until Friday, right? You're going to see him again this week because we're going to have some fun shows coming up. So uh, Ryan, thanks for being with us. I'm Brian. Everybody have a great rest of your day. And thank you so much for being a part of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.